Այցնող շիզմայ կզին։ Բարդազին չի ող համորստակ զախ գիտույք ոչ որպալմը։ Բարդ է լորը պամը։ Lately I've been filled with the knowledge that the killer will strike again, but because it is just a feeling, I am powerless to stop it. One more thing, Albert. When the next murder happens, you will help me solve it. Let's test it for the record. Will the next victim be a man or a woman? A woman. All right. What color hair will she have? Blonde. Tell me some other things about her. What's she doing right now? Do you think that if you were falling in space, that you would slow down after a while or go faster and faster? Faster and faster. And for a long time you wouldn't feel anything. Then you'd burst into fire. Forever. And the angels wouldn't help. seeking simple answers to difficult questions. In the pursuit of Laura's killer, I have employed bureau guidelines, deductive technique, Tibetan method, instinct, and luck. But now I find myself in need of something new, which for lack of a better word, we shall call magic. Welcome to Geek Fights, the Ponzi Scheme of Podcasting. I'm Damon Allen Shaw. With me, as always, is Mr. Mike Ortiz. Mike, what are we fighting about tonight? Well, uh, tonight we are talking about uh, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. 
we are talking about the best of Twin Peaks. So uh, who are we talking about this with tonight? Uh, tonight, see, I did something, I, I forgot, but uh, we've got Christy Woke. Hello. Say a little louder, Christy, because you, you're a little quiet. Am I louder now? Not by much. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know what I can do. Oh, there you go. Just oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> Mr. David Gill. How's it going? Jared Formby. Hello. Hello. I, for- I forget the mountains to have a delay. And uh, Kate, I didn't get your last name. Do you want us to say your last name there, Kate? It's Kate Valdivinos. I will not be pronouncing that. <laughs> but we've got Kate with us, too. Hey. Uh, <laughs> so how do the fights work, Mike? Well, uh, each of our panelists has chosen six of their favorite Twin Peaks-related things. Uh, this is a best of, so that it, that means it can be anything related to Twin Peaks. Whole episodes, concepts, characters, actors, lines of dialogue, whatever, as long as it's Twin Peaks-related. We throw in two more chosen by Geek Fight staff to bring it up to 32. We randomly match them up and put them in tournament-style brackets, which you can download from our website at geekfights.net. We each put it to a vote, uh, and the winner moves on to the next round. Uh, This continues until something is crowned the best of Twin Peaks. I actually did that for the first time without the script. Um, You know, you can use any kind of logic that you want to determine these, and in these type of shows, uh, really, it's it's really going to be whatever whatever is kind of meaningful to you. That's what we call Geek Logic, and Geek Logic can best be explained by this pre-recorded message. Hello, Cooper. This is Agent Alan Stevens from the DC office. Our files say this Geek Logic thing is any argument you can use to back up your choice. You define the terms any way you'd like, just as long as it supports your claim. It doesn't have to make sense, just as long as it makes sense to you. It also says here to choose your arguments wisely, because a well-constructed argument can sway votes. Keep in mind, it's not real logic, it's geek logic, and it's the heart of every geek fight. And that's well, geek vagina. logic. <laughs> and that's geek logic. No, vagina. Okay, that's vagina logic. I, I, and we I are going to have a pre-record in there, too, by the way. Could be a soundtrack right here. <laughs> uh, fire walk with me. Anyway, <laughs> let's get this show on the road. Uh, Christy, you're the one that said, hey, let's do this episode. Not diminishing Jared, because Jared said it a very long time ago. I, I just forgotten about it. But uh, here we go. You're starting off the fight. Uh, it is that gum you like is going to come back in style, which I'm sure I'm assuming is a quote versus the arm. Um, that is a quote. Um, and one of the things I really like about it is it, it's one of those things that have obviously just been thrown in and then like lines that have been thrown in. Um, I think I read somewhere on a blog or it could have been an interview, I don't really remember, that um, when they were putting together the pilot to pitch that... Hello? Hello. Okay, sorry. Um, When they were putting together the pilot to pitch, that this was one of the lines that they just kind of threw in there, and then 
everybody ended up liking it so much, they also threw in other lines kind of like that that actually have um, uh, plot points. So um, it's just one of those quirky, awesome, nonsensical things that I love about this show. Um, the arm, um, we don't really know about the arm until the prequel, really. Um, though I do really like the idea of the man from another place and the whole arm thing, which I guess we may or may not get into later, but I'm just going to throw my vote for that Gummulick is going to come back in style for now. Uh, vote for that Gummulick. Dave? Um, well, like Christy said, the, uh, the, um, the sort of random absurdity of these, these quotes that they picked, in, picked up and dropped in that oftentimes would have a grander meaning later on that you never expected. It's great. But excuse me. Um, but the arm, uh, it, it, it's part of. I feel like we're not supposed to reveal anything about it. You know, everybody that's listening to the show is uh, obviously a fan. You know, it's part of the part of the evil. It was a part of the evil that was attempted to be exercised from the evil. It was represented in such an absurd way with the with the midget and. Uh, I mean, that's what he, the first thing he says is, I am the arm, I talk like this, because everything's backwards than what you would expect. Um, so I think that the arm is, is far more important. So I'm going to go with the arm. A vote for the arm. Jared? Um, I, you know, I, I love the arm because it comes from uh, Fire Walk With Me, which is one of my favorite, favorite things in all of this. But that gum you like is coming back into style. Um that is actually lots more than just nonsense. That is uh, a toss forward line that comes out of nowhere at one point, and and when it comes back around, that is the moment that Dale Cooper solves Laura Palmer's murder. That is the moment when all of the uh, clues, both in reality and in the dream world, all slam together, and he puts his finger on what he'd forgotten, which is what Laura said to him in a dream. And it's said to him by the waiter character, just one of the most fantastic, greatest moments in all of the series. I have to go with that. I have to. A vote for that gum you like. Mike? Uh, Yeah, I think I'm going to kind of reiterate what everybody else says with uh, that gum you like is going to come back in style. Uh, Jared pretty much nailed it with the idea that this is, it's it's a clue that when you first encounter it, you don't know if it's a clue or if it's nonsense. Uh, and then when it comes back, it just sort of ties it all together. And that sort of, sort of circular dialogue and, and even more than dialogue, lots of, of visual uh, clues and and repetitions that, that ran throughout this show uh, that that was one of the things that I really really responded to in the show, and this is I think one of the better examples of that. Uh, the arm, honestly, I didn't I didn't remember uh, what the arm was until I was looking this up, and uh, and and actually the arm is essentially on this list again later. So I think we can we can save that uh, discussion for then. But uh, that gummy like is going to come back in style is is a great example of especially it it just such a silly sounding line all by itself and yet it, it carries a lot of impact in terms of, of what it does to the show another vote for that gum you like and kate 
Um, I'd have to say I, I agree with everyone. And also I agree with Dave that um, the the quote is kind of, it is random, but it does really connect um, connect these ideas. But uh, I don't know. I really like the arm because I feel like it's an example of the uh, literally ext- like extreme extremity of Bob and that he may infect your mind, but um, it goes it it's much more involved than that. And and um, I just I feel like I really like the arm. I'm going with the arm. Oh, vote for the arm. But that gum you like is going to come back in style is uh, moving on to the next round. We are on to our next fight. Dave, this one is yours. It is Mark Frost versus the mystery of the woods and the Bookhouse Boys. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Mark Frost, a very talented uh, Hollywood writer and producer, uh, to be sure. Uh, let's go. Let's hear for the Fantastic Four. <clears throat> no, but he, he's been around for a while. He's done a lot of good stuff, and I think that this show never would have been what it was without his collaboration with David Lynch. Uh, as wonderful as David Lynch is, you needed, you needed Mark Frost with the same sort of sick, twisted, sense to to elaborate and, and create more characters in a much richer world um, than we would have had if, just, if it was just David Lynch. So he's awesome. But uh, the Bookhouse Boys and the Mystery of the Woods, I mean, that's what makes Twin Peaks itself the place uh, so so fascinating. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the Mystery of the Woods, I mean, it's, it's a terrifying but beautiful place. You know, Cooper's ready to buy real estate out there, and yet these murders and this Drugs and prostitution and business and murder and fantastic place. So I'm going to go with the mystery of the woods. A uh, vote for the mystery of the woods. Uh, Jared. Uh, okay, so now the mystery of the woods and the bookhouse boys. Is this uh, two things on one bracket, or is this some greater tied together thing that I'm missing? Because I no, I really can't tell. It's hello. That the whole, hello. Yeah, <laughs> it's go that ahead, the Christine. whole. It's that the whole that the Bookhouse Boys for generations have been battling. This is like a second season thing that's barely touched upon. Like I think maybe in one episode, but the Bookhouse Boys have been like for generations fighting this dark presence in the woods that they don't even okay. Really know to yeah, you know what? You know what? I remember that there. now. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and vote for that because it is second season stuff, and it's the stuff I don't know as well, and it sounds fantastic. And as far as Mark Frost goes, you needed Mark Frost to balance David Lynch. What? 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 No, I I disagree. I disagree. David Lynch without Mark Frost makes Mahal and Drive. Mahal and Drive is awesome. So let's get Mark Frost out of here right now. <laughs> I don't I don't disagree that David Lynch is awesome. Uh, Mike. Um, I, I will have to, uh, disagree with that. I think Mulholland Drive is not a TV show. Uh, David Lynch, immensely talented film director, but you know, outside of Twin Peaks. It was Peaks, supposed to be a TV show. What? It was going to be a TV show. Was it? And then like, he couldn't get it through as a pilot. So he scrambled and made up the last 20 minutes to make it a movie. So he failed to make it a TV show. Whereas the ABC failed to buy something cool. So he failed to make it a TV show. And this TV producer 
actually made it happen as a weekly show. David Lynch is an immensely talented director, but the reality is to make a weekly TV show requires a lot more than talent. Uh, Mark Frost had a lot of experience doing hour-long TV drama. He brought that to the table here. He grounded David Lynch in a way that made it accessible. And uh, that may not sound like it's a good thing, but without that, you don't have a show. So for me, Mark Frost is an essential part of Twin Peaks. A vote for Mark Frost. Kate? Uh, I don't really know Mark Frost, to be honest. And so I have to go with the mystery of the woods and the bookhouse boys. I feel like it it really shows what's going on and helps drive the story and also helps Cooper get involved in the the secrets of Twin Peaks that everyone was kind of keeping him out of or not sharing for their own reasons. So, Bookhouse Boys. Uh, vote for the Bookhouse Boys. And Christy. Okay, I really didn't... I don't really care if either one of these go through. Um, so, let me try to think this out as I talk. Okay. Um, the Bookhouse Boys... You know, they're, I mean, we know about them, the whole, the whole, um, series, but the mystery, specifically the mystery of the woods and the bookhouse boys, not just solving like drug problems with, and, and, and murders and, and things like that in town, but this, and I guess you can, you can say that the dark presence is, you know, influencing people in the town, maybe, but specifically, talking about like um the dark lodge or the black lodge and the white lodge and weird things supernatural things we don't even find out about that until like late in the second season it's not really explained at all as many things aren't um and i'd say that without mark mark frost is more integral to this series than the mystery of the woods and the bookhouse boys so i am going to vote for mark frost a vote for Mark Frost. But the Bookhouse Boys and the Mystery of the Woods is moving on. We're on to our next die, fight. Mark Frost, die. <laughs> Jared, this one is yours. It is Donuts, Coffee, and Pie versus Bob. Shit. This is already the finals? <laughs> Fantastic. This is a really <laughs> short episode. Um... Good God. Okay, so the donuts, the coffee, and the pie. These these are, of course, the food items. The food items are a, a long-running uh, theme. Uh, they're constantly referenced. And, uh, every reference to coffee is, is spectacular. Each reference to donuts is awesome. And, of course, the pie is an underlying theme through the whole show. But Bob is the... the big evil. I mean, the the big thing that is so integral to uh, certainly, I won't even apologize, it's my favorite story in Twin Peaks is is Bob and um, tearing down Bob and gosh, without that, I don't know how much of the show I'm, I'm really following. I mean, other viewers might even agree that after, you know, after um, Bob is revealed, you know, nobody really watches the show all that much. So, uh, I'm going to go with donuts, coffee, and pie. But I could be swayed. 
Uh, vote for donuts, coffee, and pie. Mike. You know, it's interesting. When I saw the fights that we have on here, I was actually pretty amazed at how many kinds of small things, you know, moments and lines of dialogue. Uh, very often when we have these best ofs, uh, people will pull out big guns because those are the things that, that last with them. Whereas uh, I think with this show, so many of those small things do last. Uh, and here we've got what, you know, in, in terms of if you just look at it objectively is a small thing, the, uh, the donuts, coffee and pie versus uh, what is possibly the biggest thing in the show, or at least one of them. Um, and, and, it, and it's really tough. And, and, you know, like Jared, I'm kind of going back and forth too. On one hand, you know, without Bob, you don't have at least the narrative kind of center of, of the show, but donuts, coffee, and pie were one of those, well, not the, I guess three of those, the, the word quirky was used for this show way too much. And I think it is way too lighthearted a word to describe what the show was really doing by bringing kind of strange and unusual details. Um, but, but details that really kind of rang true and also still stood out in a very strange way. Uh, and, and that's something that was very, very unique, uh, with this show. That's something that even though Bob was, was not like any other villain on, and I think maybe villain's not the right word, antagonist, whatever on a TV show, uh, many TV shows had that. Um, and still have that, but I can't think of many before Twin Peaks that had that strange level of of interesting character detail that uh, donuts, coffee, and pie are kind of a symbol of. Uh, although, like with Jared, I probably could be swayed by a particularly good Bob argument, but I'll go with the donuts for now. Another vote for donuts, coffee, and pie. Uh, Kate. Um, I feel like. Bob, uh, he makes Twin Peaks what it is. And um, I almost feel like when I first saw this matchup, I thought it was interesting because it's almost like Bob is the exact opposite of the donuts, coffee, and pie. And because that's one of the great things about Twin Peaks. And um, this one is a really tough one to decide, but I had to go with Bob. Just because, I don't know, without him, there is no Twin Peaks. And, and like whoever said earlier, after, after we found out that um, Leland was Bob, then we, the show definitely wasn't as interesting. But even though Bob was still there, but I'm going with Bob. A vote for Bob. Christy. Uh, this is so hard. This is one of those fights that I was really upset with the randomizer about. Strangely enough, Bob super <laughs> integral to most of the story and donuts, coffee, and pie, which is so integral to my everyday life. I mean, every, I won't say that every time I drink coffee, I say that's a damn good cup of coffee, but um, certainly when I eat pie, I say that's damn good pie. Um and um, uh, uh, Kate was just saying that, you know, after Bob isn't a part of the series anymore, it's not as interesting, whereas Donuts, Coffee, and Pie endure. Um, but I'm making it sound like it's not very hard. 
Uh, but I'm going to tie it up and vote for Bob so I don't have to decide because it is actually very hard to uh, vote for Bob. It is all tied up. It comes down to you there, Dave. Which one takes the win? Uh, that's not fair because uh, I agree. Um, it was Kate that said they're sort of our polar opposites uh, because how I feel about the donuts, coffee, and pies, you know, I, I've never met a pie I didn't like. I have a T-shirt in Twin Peaks. This is where pies go when they, you know, when they die. They have all these very quotes. There's that scene with um, Cooper and the sheriff where they get a cup of coffee, but they're in a hurry, and he stops the sheriff and says, you know, once a day, every day, give yourself gift, even if it's just a cup of coffee, like these, these stabilizing good things, these treats, these small pleasures sort of represent kind of what you're really fighting for when they're all out there fighting the good fight against uh, the villainous Bob. Uh, however, Bob as an antagonist or a villain character, I, I think, I think this is sort of what made Twin Peaks so perfect, unfortunately, but there's also the arm and Leland Palmer's also on this list. So, Bob is represented an awful lot, um, but Bob representing the evil of the cycle of abuse, uh, which I think we can all agree this show was really all about breaking that cycle. Um, I mean, it's, it's so important. I mean, it's never been represented that way on television before and, and really in movies if, if ever that, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean... Okay, I keep feeling like we're going to give spoilers away, but we're not. Leland was abused by this Bob character, but Bob was somebody else. But Leland saw that person as Bob. Uh, Leland then became Bob, was possessed by Bob, however, metaphorically, literally, you want to you know, define it. And then he carried on that abuse to his own daughter, which eventually drove her to live this horrible lifestyle and eventually drove him to murder her, et cetera. So, so Bob, I mean, and we've, all, we've all known people you know, we've all known people that were damaged from these kind of things. And so it's, it's, it's just like Bob touched them. Um, so I, I, I feel guilty only because, like I said, because Bob is represented in other aspects here. But I'm going to give it to Bob and move Bob on. And, uh, you know, bless the donuts, pie and coffee. But I'm going to have to give it to Bob. Uh, vote for Bob. And Bob is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is the music of Angelo versus the house and the ending uh for me this is another uh another tough one um if if only just for a strange kind of personal reason i absolutely love the music in twin peaks uh i think that it does an amazing job at uh at capturing the show and and i think was light years ahead of the music that you you saw in most tv shows uh, of its time uh, i like the music so much that before the actual soundtrack album was released for Twin Peaks, which I did get, um, there was uh, that one song on the Julie Cruz album. Julie Cruz uh, appeared on the show. And the song, I can't remember, I think it was called Falling. Uh, actually, the music of the song is uh, the, the same music as, as, twin, as the uh, opening of Twin Peaks. So because that was the closest I could get to a soundtrack, uh, I went ahead and bought that album. I even saw her live. Uh, because I like the show and I like the music so much. But I'm going to vote for the How's Annie ending because it had um, it had a real kind of kick in the gut impact when I saw it. You know, we, we knew Twin Peaks was was ending. Uh, and, and as we were coming to that end, even though uh, I, I don't think the show was uh, as, as bad as many other people do uh, after... 
the lore after the the murder mystery is solved. It goes off into a strange direction, but I really like that direction. As it was kind of chugging away towards wherever it was going, there was this feeling of, oh my God, how are they going to wrap all this up? Oh my God, how are they going to pay all this off? And then when you get to that series finale and this is your ending and you realize they're not, uh, that was just this amazing revelation to me that they would actually do that, that they would actually not give the people the payoff that they were expecting. And it was a ballsy move and I absolutely loved it. Uh, And they did that decades before the fucking Sopranos basically did the same thing uh, to a much lesser degree. So uh, how's Annie? A vote for the how's Annie ending. Kate. Um, I really, I liked the how's Annie ending. I thought it was neat how they were kind of, it was almost like Bob was mocking Cooper in a way, but uh, the music, I just, I felt like the music was throughout and it was, it was, it was eerie. And also it changed really quickly and, or, and uh, I don't know. I felt, I felt like it, it helped take you and all of a sudden you're thinking one thing and you're feeling one thing. And then all of a sudden it changed and it made you feel like that you weren't, supposed to be feeling what you were feeling or you won't weren't supposed to be thinking a certain way about a place wherever the music was playing and i liked that there were different variations of similar songs and um so i'm gonna go with the music a vote for the music christy all right um so the how's annie ending is like the best fuck you to the cancellation of the show and I think it's great but I love 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 the music I love the score I love uh, the soundtrack Um, I own the score I own that Julie Cruz album uh, Floating Into the Night I listen to it every time it rains Uh, and so good it's so it's so it's so strange and uh, ethereal. Like it's nothing you've ever heard. It's like sort of jazz, but not. It sounds. It sounds like it wasn't made here. I. I. I don't think. I. I think. I think the music should at least go to the final two, and if it doesn't, I'm going to be very disappointed in everyone here. A vote for the music, Dave. <laughs> well, I'm 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 not afraid of that last threat. I think I'll survive that. But um, no, the music was it was spectacular and 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 again very different for anything else that was on television at the time, and perfect for the show because it was so ethereal, different, distant. Uh, my four year old was rocking out to it earlier today, and we were trying to catch up before the uh, podcast tonight. Um, not rocking out, but you know what I mean. He was he was swaying back and forth. I think this is fun. Um, but the house and the ending was, yeah, it was, it was, a, I was so pissed off. I didn't watch it when it was on TV. I watched it like in the VHS collection a couple years later. And I was so mad that that was how it ended because, you know, it's a cop show. So you want like a happy ending. You want the good guys to win. And of course they don't. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I thought that was also, I thought it was really ballsy. I thought that was, uh, it was good. It was harsh. It was creepy. Like the, the finest of the fine, the only truly good person on the whole show, well, maybe not the only one, you know, was all of a sudden going to be possessed by corruption itself, you know, 
And uh, what happens next, you just, you would make up in your head. And uh, I made it all the more terrifying. I mean, it's like it suddenly became a horror movie with an actually good horror movie ending, which are rare. So I'm going to go with the How's Andy ending. A vote for the How's Andy ending. It is all tied up. Comes down to you, Jared. Which one takes the win? Uh, I'm sorry. I thought you said it's all tied up. Uh, I did. It is tied up. The music is tied up with the ending of the show? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, All right. Uh, I... I also got the Julie Cruz record, the, the Floating Into the Night record, but I got it because I was a big fan of Blue Velvet, and, and the Julie Cruz song from Blue Velvet was on that. I didn't know Twin Peaks from anything. I knew it was popular. I knew it was on television, and I went ahead and bought that soundtrack album without having seen the show because I'd heard such great things about it, and I knew that Julie Cruz had you know, contributed, and... And that was my first introduction to the world of Twin Peaks, was, was just hearing that music on repeat forever and ever and ever. And I can't believe this is tied up. This has got to be some kind of stunt. Mike, you've got to get back into the Wayback Machine. You've got to understand that you saw Julie Cruz in concert. You've got to reverse your vote. You've got to reverse your vote. Because it can't be tied up and me breaking it to get the music into its rightful place. Come on, man. The music. The music is great. Well, the mu- it is specifically the Angelo Badalamenti music, not Julie Cruz. So that's- yeah, that's true. But you could also win it. So you don't have to worry about him changing his mind. The two are together. Come on, man. And, and yeah, there's lots say, of songs like, Cruz on there. And I mean, and yeah. it's, uh, that was all a big collaboration, too, between her, Lynch, and Angelo. And the score is super awesome, too. Maybe Julie Cruz needs her own spot on the bracket. Maybe that could go through uncontested, like this is being contested. This is crazy to me. It's got to be the music. Emma Music. Oh, Emma Music is still moving through, even though you changed your vote. I, I, I did say the music was awesome. It was just that one that uh, I did like, uh, like Christy said, that just kind of f you. I, I don't know. Maybe I just like that. I read so, that, uh, but I like the angel one better. <laughs> this is going to be a long fight. Uh, we're on to our next fight. Uh, Kate, this one is yours. It is Ben Home versus Bree Sandwich, and that's a weird sentence. Ben Horn. Um, uh, this was a really weird one that was paired up, and um, I guess, I, I mean, that is my favorite scene in the whole series, so I felt really conflicted with this one, but I mean... He makes the scene, Ben Horn. I feel like um, I'm going with Ben Horn just because he makes that scene what it is. And yeah, without him, then there is no Brie sandwich scene. I'll vote for Ben Horn. Christy. Yeah, I I thought that this was a weird matchup. Thanks, Randomizer. Um, So the reason I put Brie sandwich on the list is because I almost put um, the brother's horn on here, but somebody had already put Ben horn on. So I thought that would be a little redundant. I feel like the Brie sandwich scene is the essence of the horn brothers. It's okay. Jerry comes home from a trip to, I guess, France family's eating dinner. And he says to the bellhop, what is with you guys? I got a sandwich in there. We're looking to find it. And then he 
he unwraps the sandwich and he's like to to Ben, this is the best damn sandwich I ever ate. It's a baguette with brie and butter. I had four of these damn things every day. And then Ben takes a bite of it. Mm, mm, like mouthgasm, interrupts the entire dinner. And then they just walk out of the room or, uh, no, no, no. I think they talk about, oh, this reminds me of the so-and-so sisters or something down by the river. And they smell the brie sandwich. Mm, that's why I love it. I don't know. It's just so... Everything, oh, the things that I, there are things that annoy me about Ben Horn later because it just gets convoluted. The things that I like about Ben Horn, Ben Horn are, are integral to this Brie Sandwich theme. So I am voting for Brie Sandwich. Uh, vote for Brie Sandwich. Dave? Yeah, it seems like the Brie Sandwich theme because that really set up the, uh, the relationship between the brothers Horn. Absolutely. Uh, you know, both as businessmen and as siblings and like how they could have this, these weird humorous moments while they're diabolically, you know, going to set fire to the mill and take over this and they're running a brothel. And, and, uh, I did really like that scene, but I think that Ben Horn, I even enjoyed him in the season two when he changed and became a crazy civil war reenacting on the, you know, all that stuff. I really liked Ben Horn because I felt that he wasn't strange. Like, you know, so many, so many characters pepper the show that are just obviously meant to be eerie or odd or, you know, they cast it with some, so many like funny looking people just even in the background. Like, uh, and he was he's just like, he could have been on any show on television. Like that guy, that actor, like he's got the good looks, he's got the dramatic pacing, he's got weird comedy moments. Um, but he was on that show. And I think because he was involved at some level with so many of the things that were going on in town, I just gotta, I gotta give it up to Ben Horn for, uh, being part of this crazy show while being normal. That makes sense. So Ben Horn. <laughs> A vote for Ben Horn. Uh, Mr. Formby. Oh, it's the Brie sandwich. I mean, this is the new coffee, donuts, and pie. This is the next opportunity to get something wildly specific, wildly fun, and wildly telling to get into the next round. I mean, sure, Ben Horn's a great character and everything, but this show was packed full of Ben characters. I mean, the characters. I'm a little offended that we actually have to talk about this one specific character when there are so many others I'd rather talk about than Ben Horn. But the Brie Sandwich? I could talk about Jerry bringing that thing back to Ben all day long. That is a fantastic moment. It's food-related. And if it's food-related, that's Twin Peaks for me, and it's got to go forward. A vote for the Brie Sandwich. It is all tied up again. Mike, what's the winner? Holy shit. Um, I really like uh, Ben Horn. Uh, I think he is is a great character, uh, as as many of the characters on here are great characters. Some of the characters we actually have on this list I'm not as fond of. Um, but the Brie Sandwich, um, more than just being about food and yeah we didn't put the 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 donuts forward what what really kind of gets me is this bizarre eroticism that the horn brothers bring to their food issues <laughs> i mean uh agent cooper his love for the coffee and the pie and all of that actually has a strange kind of purity to it um it is a it is almost like a pure love Whereas, you know, they, they want to fuck their food. 
And, and it's almost kind of an interesting, you know, look at the good guys and their relationship with food is kind of wholesome. And well, the bad guys, their relationship with their food is kind of seedy. And that always really struck me as odd as they were, as they were devouring their food. It was just kind of like, they, they, they look like they're like fucking or something. And, and that's something really kind of strange and weird and twisted. And, uh, and yeah, we got to have some food going forward. And Bree Sandwich is moving on. And we are on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is the dancing little person versus uh, what this show did for TV. Okay, I'm going to refer to the dancing little person as the man from another place, since that's actually what his name is. Here, here. <laughs> I saw that and I'm like, oh. Hey, it was almost dancing midget. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, at least it's better than that. Um, okay, so. I'm not going to talk a lot about what the show did for television just because I didn't watch it when it came out. So I saw this, you know, after it, it made the difference in like super ensemble, self-referential, cinematic quality, um, uh, nation, att- national attention grabbing, everybody on the edge of their seat in the country kind of thing. So I'll let someone else talk about that. So my thing for the what, the show did for television that it was so big that there was twin beaks. Okay. on I don't remember if it's Muppet Show or Sesame Street, but either way, look it up on YouTube, twin beaks. Um, but I'm going to vote for the man from another place because the arm is gone. And what most people think of when, uh, well, I, I would argue that a, a lot of people, when they think of twin peaks, they, they, they think of, um, him dancing in, in the waiting room, in the red room. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw my vote to him. Oh, oh, uh, oh, 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 also, uh, he, uh, Michael Anderson played Rumpelstiltskin in the episode of DS9. Yeah. There we go. A vote for the man from another place. Is that his name? Uh, Dave? Well, here's the thing. Maybe you guys can clarify this. But I always thought that the, the little dancing midget was the arm. He says, I am the arm. I talk like this. He's the arm that was removed from the shoe salesman who's trying to get rid of the evil in a, in a very literal sense, cutting his arm off. He, he represents trying to secede from Bob. Um, so I, I think he's the same guy as we already talked about. Um, however, having said that, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, if everybody can... can well, that is, you know, that, is that is it. That is it, yeah. Okay. Um, but however, the, the effect that it had on television, and I, you know, again, I only saw this a few years after it had come out. I think I was in college by the time I saw the, the, the whole the whole series on tape. Um, but I didn't even realize then what it was going to do. I didn't really actually watch a lot of TV. But um, you know, so much. I think we were talking before the show started. Um, Damon was talking about the episode of Psych, where they did like the Twin Peaks thing. Um, we were just watching Fringe the other day, and uh, if you've seen that show, and, and Dr. Bishop's wearing the red and blue 3D glasses, and he makes a comment. It was a friend of his, uh, Professor Jacoby. I mean, people are still, I mean, just obviously referencing the show, but more than that, I think it gave audiences the idea that you could have a really rich mystery, that the audience wasn't just stupid and just needed to be entertained for an hour, that they wanted to be challenged and to think and to feel strongly for these characters and not be carried easily in with, you know, trite things that have been done a thousand times before. 
I mean, I think that's what they were really going for was the show was to do something different. So without this show, you wouldn't have had the X-Files. And without the X-Files, you wouldn't, because, you know, it's particularly genre-specific for geeks like us, but you wouldn't have had um, uh, any any really positive FBI, like even Bones to this day, or um, or Lost, or Fringe, or like all these influences that has passed on over the past, whatever it is, 20, 20 some years now. I think that it's far more far more important than than, uh, than again just the one character or concept from the show. So I'm going to go with uh, how it's influenced television. What it did for TV gets a vote, Jared. Uh, that's a this is a really strange thing because what we're trying to determine is what the best of Twin Peaks is, and right now we have the fight between something that is uniquely Twin Peaks up against something that is just abstractly Twin Peaks. I mean, of course it's influential. Of course it's awesome. Of course it, you know, changed television forever. And we're all talking about it. This, all of this discussion, whatever the bracket, is all about this, this latter component. I gotta go with the man from another place going forward, dancing in his little shoes, because that is Twin Peaks. That's specifically Twin Peaks. And I don't want to talk about its influence. We're going to get enough of that tonight. I mean, through and through, let's just talk about the little man and how awesome that scene was and how it came out of nowhere and how they uh, threw the end credits like after the show was over, over him still dancing because it was so awesome. And so just that picture of Laura Palmer. So dancing, man with a, from another place. Let's do it. Uh, another vote for the man from another place. Mike? Now, uh, I, it, it seems like I may be in the minority here and having actually watched the show from day one is that is that correct um yeah i think so now so when when you say yeah. he is the man from another place or he is the arm um he's not that that came later the the day after i think it was the second episode that he appears in uh the day after that episode aired uh universally you could hear bouncing around the country what the fuck was up with the dancing midget. Yeah, I know midget is incorrect. That's why I put a little person on here. All of the other stuff came later. All of the other stuff was, uh, the names for him was, uh, was stuff that was, was added on and brought to him um, afterwards. Nobody knew what his name was or who he was or what he was. And there was no Black Lodge. There was nothing. There was just a mystery show it seemed a little odd, a little quirky, as much as I hate that word. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it turns into something bizarre and surreal. And was he talking backwards and yet talking forwards? That's That was just strange, strange stuff. I mean, that's that's really the kind of, you know, like Jared said, uniquely Twin Peaks. That's That's, to me, the moment when Twin Peaks clearly is not going to be uh, any kind of a, of a straightforward drama that it's going to kind of bring in a, a sort of surrealist quality that you really don't see on television. Um, and as far as the influence, I'm hesitant to uh, attribute influence on things sometimes. Uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, when you say we wouldn't have the X-Files, I think the X-Files, you know, borrows more from uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker than from Twin Peaks. I think it's very hard we we can we can say a lot of things about what influenced what, but it, it's really difficult to kind of you know nail it. The influences are such a, a wide 
spread out broad thing, I think it's hard to really figure out what kind of impact it had, especially considering the fact that it really was not terribly successful. I mean, you don't see, you know, when you talk about other, you know, an ensemble show with a lot of actors and drama that those shows like that have been, have been on television, you know, back to the sixties. So twin peaks is a very specific expression of that, but it itself is pulling from a lot of influence as well. So for me, I just generally speaking, don't like to talk about influences unless you can really draw very specific, concrete uh, connections from A to B. Uh, and for me, the arm or the man from another place, or as we will always remember him, those who, who were who were sitting there on the floor watching this back in in nineteen whatever. Uh, what the fuck is up with that dancing midget? So I'm voting for the dancing midget. <laughs> All right, a vote for the dancing little person from another place. Uh, Kate, what's the score? Is it what's the I'm just uh, uh, right now, Dancing Little Person has three votes. You might be able to sway somebody, but I don't think so. Oh, um, well, actually, I after I thought I knew what I wanted to say, but after um, after listening to everyone, I think I mean I I was gonna say what the show did for TV, but um, what I pulled from it wasn't necessarily that it. Um, was great for like introduce people to a cult classic or, or then introduce and spawned all these other, other things like twin beaks. But I thought it also just kind of showed that network television kind of sucks because it didn't last on network television. And I don't know whoever said it, but the dancing dwarf or little person or whatever, um, he, he really is what, he really is Twin Peaks. And um, anyway, I'm going to go with the little person. The dancing little person from another place is moving on. And we're on to our next fight. Dave, this one is yours. It is Laura's Diary on the show. I know there's an actual book, Laura's Diary. That's somewhere else. And it, it's versus uh, Sycamore Trees. Mr. Gill? Sycamore Trees. That's what that says there. It's a song. It's when he goes into the Black Lodge following Annie, and there's a guy who seems androgynous, but that's a dude, singing this song. I sent a video in case nobody knew what I was talking about. (laughs) I didn't watch it. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. I think we remember this. It's it's totally fine. Okay. Uh, what was that up against? <laughs> Laura's diary on the show. I know Laura's you're sitting diary. in blackness right now. No, no, we have power now. Um, Laura's diary on the show. Well, this is uh, it's, it's almost tough because I'm not really fond of either of these particularly. I like the Laura's diary because she had like her diary, diary, which the you know they broke into the sheriff and Cooper and they popped the lock and they were reading and it did give some clues. When there was the secret diary that uh, what's his face, the agoraphobic had that Donna got access to, and that revealed way more. Um, but uh, just for fun, I'll give it to the Sycamore song, because uh, I had totally forgotten about that. So, uh, you know, it was almost like it happened in a dream. So give it to the Sycamore song. Uh, vote for the Sycamore Tree song. Uh, Jared. Um, 
I, I, I would be all over voting for Douglas Furs. Um, yeah. yeah. The Douglas Furs like stick out to me more than the Sycamore, but it kind of doesn't matter because you put the words Palmer and Laura t- together, and you follow it with the word diary, I'm already engrossed. So I'm going to go with Laura Palmer's diary, the one on the show. And actually, I'm going to go with the secret diary, which is the one that the agoraphobic had, because that had all the twisted, weird poetry in it. Uh, vote for Laura's diary. Mike? Uh, th- this is actually kind of strange. I had no idea what Sycamore Trees was uh, when uh, when I saw the list. Um, but then when I watched the video, uh, I, I just that that scene came back to me, um, and I'm going to vote for the sycamore trees. Uh, even though I mean Laura's diary, you know, we were talking about Bob being kind of a, a key part of the show. That really is kind of a key narrative thread that runs through the show. Um, it's they keep coming back to it. It's an important plot point. Um, but you know, for me, I guess it's a question of when we're talking about Twin Peaks, are we talking about is it the narrative that was really engaging or were it moments like the sycamore trees, which were just much like uh, the, the man from another place, uh, much like uh, other things that may be on this list uh, and, and many, many things that aren't on this list. Uh, just those, I don't know, strange vis- visceral moments. And, and again, I, th- that scene was completely lost on me. But then as soon as I saw it and heard the song and heard the music and the way he was singing it, uh, it, it felt like there was meaning there that I should know better than I did. And that's, that to me kind of sums up Twin Peaks a lot. Uh, when I watch it, I get the feeling that this is somehow more complex than I actually understand. And the Sycamore Trees gives me that same feeling. And Sycamore Trees gets another vote. Kate? Um. I really liked Laura's diary. I thought it was neat that she had one or two. And I think it also just helped show that she was still a girl and she's still just like any girl, why they keep a diary. It, it, you know, it used, she used it to organize her thoughts and also, you know, relive this additional, this extra life that she had. And, and it also, you know, was, big for clues when they were trying to solve her murder, but she talked about such simple things in it, like about James and, and who she's in love with and Leo. And I don't know. I thought it was such an innocent thing for her to do, even though it was a really big, big part of her life that showed a whole different side of her life that no one knew about. So I'm going with diary. I'll vote for the diary. And uh, this is becoming a theme of this episode. It's all tied up. It comes down to you there, Christy. So why don't we just ask the fifth person each time what they vote? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I think Mike said it really well when um, he said that this whole fight is what it comes down to is narrative versus mood. Um, Something that, you know, every show has narrative, but you know, Twin Peaks has a very specific, um, uh, like spooky, um, kind of, uh, feel to it. Um, but I'm voting for Sycamore Trees because that scene is 
my favorite scene, my favorite scene in the whole series. Um, certainly, certainly my favorite thing in the second season. Um, it's when um, Cooper enters not just the waiting room, but the Black Lodge looking for Annie. And um, there's this beautiful, haunting, soulful, gut-wrenching, searchingly dark, strange song being sung by um, an, an androgynous voice that's, you know, very lynchy in, it, in itself. But um, and th- there's uh, the strobe lights and just how confusing it all is. And it's, it's such a beautiful and chaotic scene. Um, uh, I'm so happy to say that it is moving on. That is correct. It is moving on to the next round. We are in our first unknown fight of the evening. Uh, Jared, this one is yours. It is uh, the Tibetan rock throw versus Karen's pick. Which this better is, be good. This better be good. Uh, it's the log lady. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but oh, Jared, okay. it's all the yours. Log, the log lady is, is a character from the show. Um and uh she's uh she's not my character. I just I just uh when I think of Twin Peaks there's like a few scenes that come together like right away in my head. And one of them is when Dale Cooper like stands out in the woods with a blackboard and a map of Tibet and explains to the local police department that he's just met basically that he is going to solve Laura's murder using a technique he learned in a dream. And he's going to do this by having a bottle placed an exact distance from where he's standing. And he's going to throw rocks at the bottle while uh, somebody on the staff is calling out names that are associated to the letter J from Laura's diary. Completely abstract, completely beautiful. And you want to talk about the music in that scene? It's awesome. The setup is awesome. Uh, It's unforgettable. And that's probably one of the biggest moments where I just fell in love with everything this show was capable of. So I've got to go with the Tibetan rock throw. Sorry, Log Lady. Uh, vote for the Tibetan rock throw. Mike? Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I actually like the, the Log Lady a, a great deal. Um, you know, she started off as really just kind of a joke, uh, sort of a one-note character, and then, then actually goes on to, to be somewhat sympathetic, and then to to kind of I wouldn't say not integral or or important, but certainly to have a role in in the narrative and, and the, the delivery of the clues and information. Um but the Tibetan rock throw, uh, you know, I'd mentioned earlier about uh you know the the dream sequence with uh with the man from another place and that being uh you know a very surreal moment. But all of that is is kind of this this sort of dream state sort of thing. Uh, so early on in the show, you could it could easily be kind of dismissed as well. It's a dream sequence or whatever. It's it's supposed to be strange, um, but the Tibetan rock throw was really where you where you start to see that the weirdness is not going to be something that's confined to the internal. Uh, it's not something that is just uh, dreams and hallucinations and, and visions and things like that. That they're actually. I mean, this is this is police work this is detective work being influenced by these these kind of strange metaphysical things and it really gives you a great insight into just how unorthodox a a law agent uh 
uh, Dale Cooper is, but, uh, but also the fact that it's, it's really kind of clever and, and dramatic and, and kind of, uh, has a lot of, of, uh, kind of tension to it for what just a kind of objectively is a, is a dude throwing rocks, but the context of it and the fact that it's, you're really sitting there kind of going, this is a strange way for the show to go. Uh, really just gave it a lot of impact. It's very memorable and, and, and kind of a very cool, uh, synchronistic, uh, approach to, uh, to police work that, that honestly, I, I think, uh, police should do more often. Fuck you, Ortiz. Uh, <laughs> Kate? Um, <clears throat> I'm not a huge fan of the log lady, even though I know that she had, she had a, she had an important role. I mean, she helped, she helped a lot of the questions that Cooper had and she knew things that no one else knew because her log was there. And, um, but, I agree with what everyone else has said about the Tibetan rock throw and and it combines dreams and reality and just like what Twin Peaks is and Bob and et cetera. So I'm going to go with the Tibetan rock throw. Another vote for the Tibetan rock throw. That's already three. Uh, Christy. All right. Um, the only scene that I really enjoy with the log lady in it is when she's sitting at the double R diner and she has a giant wad of gum in her mouth and she takes it out when she's done and just sticks it on the wall next to her. And Norm is looking at her like, or I think she might have even said it something about, please don't put your fucking gum on the wall or something. She, she, she calls that out later. Norma. She lets that go oh, for a yeah. while. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, Tibetan method. I cannot wait for the day when there, when I can employ this in my life. I haven't yet, and I've had discussions with people that say, you know, you can really apply this to anything, but I want it to be special, you know, because it'll be my first time. Um, Tibetan Method or Tibetan Rock Throw, please. Another vote for the Tibetan Rock Throw. Mr. Gill, is it a clean sweep? Oh, um, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I really want to not make it a clean sweep because I just really like the log lady. And I think that her log, her dead husband's soul trapped in the log, what have you really was important, particularly more so for the second season story arc um, with what she saw and knew from living deep in the woods. And I like how she was treated uh, by some characters reverently and some like Norma at the diner, like with the gum thing, like hilariously, like God, you just weird old lady. Um, but the, yeah, but the, you know what? Yeah, the Tibetan rock throw, um, the rock throw thing was one of my favorite scenes of all time, too. And it, and it worked. I mean, he, you know, it didn't shatter the bottle, but he, he nicked it. And it was Leo Dawson who, guess what, was with her, you know, 20 minutes before she died. So his subconscious dreamscapiness, it worked. It was a good technique. So, uh, yeah, let's get to the Tibetan rock throw. And Tibetan rock throw is moving on to the uh, next point, round. Point, point of information. Yeah. Uh, Leo Johnson's name did shatter the bottle. But did it shatter? Okay. I thought it yeah, was like knocked it, it over. It, it, was, it, was not, it was knocked over, um, I think, by James. I can't remember who knocked it over. Oh, cool. That makes more sense, too. Like, the people that she saw in order. Okay. Cool. Uh, but yeah, Tibetan Rock Throw is moving on. We are on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me versus Gordon Cole. 
Uh, I am going to vote for Gordon Cole because Gordon Cole uh, was David Lynch and David Lynch created the show. A vote for Gordon Cole. Kate. Um, I'm going to go with Fire Walk With Me because, I don't know, it was, it explained a lot of stuff and it also helped, I don't know, I just liked it because it was an extra thing to the show that, that let me experience more of it after it was done. A vote for Fire Walk With Me. Christy. All right. Um. Jared, please don't yell at me. I hate Firewalk with me. And let me explain why, because I feel like I have a good reason. And just remember, you know, just because people have different opinions doesn't mean you should hate them. Um, okay. It really? didn't need to exist. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to enlighten you. Um, wow. Open-mindedness. Um, okay. It didn't need to exist, and it really, it changed Laura um, from something dangerous, like she was a sweet, naive girl with this darkness inside, into just a victim, and I really hated that they stripped away all of the mystique and complexities of her, and it felt like she was just just a plain girl. There was nothing about her at all. Like, uh, I'll talk about it later if it goes through to try to deter some other people, but I love Gordon Cole. I'm die. That, that's in the second season, but that was funny. Right? <laughs> a vote for Gordon Cole. Dave. <laughs> I do love Gordon Cole. He's mildly offensive to the hearing impaired, but, you know, he is the man. David Lynch, the fact that he would create such a character and be in there, and, and he was hilarious, and uh, it was great. But I, I really liked Firewalk with me, and I, I don't feel like they made him look just like another victim. I think they showed you, because they could, because it was a movie, just how dark things had gotten. And uh, with What's-Her-Face, they recast with Donna to sort of have witnessed as a friend... You know, and at that age in high school, you see your friends go through shit, hopefully not that bad, uh, you know, and, and you support them by joining them or whatever. Um, I, I think that Firewalk with me was just an amazing movie. We got to watch what we already knew happened, but we got to sort of go through the horror of it, like, you know, knowing what was happening, knowing that here she was at the at the cabin with Leo and Jacques, and then knowing that her father was going to show up and take her to the train, and then watching her be killed, like, it was, I thought that was, I don't want to see, like, it's such a closure, exactly, but I, I don't know, I thought it was a really intense way to still strike a, a horrible chord in your soul about what, you know, what had happened to these characters that they, they just couldn't have done on the show because then there would have been no mystery. But to be able to come back to that a few years later and, and put you through it again and just really riveting, disturbing Way to show you. I got to give it to Firewalk with me. A uh, vote for Firewalk with me. Yet again, all tied up. Comes down to you, Jared. Which one takes the win? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and vote for Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, the major motion picture. And and not because I hate Kirsty. Uh, I'm going to vote for it because one of my favorite things on the internet is a blurb from David Lynch who said, I made that movie because I was obsessed with Laura Palmer. And I relate 
So, the movie, please. And Firewalk with me is moving on to the next round. We are on to our next fight. Kate, this one is yours. It is The Owls Are Not What They Seem versus The Gifted and The Dance. Um, well, I chose The Gifted and The Damned. Uh, I felt like I really liked the idea that every, everyone that Bob encounters or sees Bob is either gifted or the damned. And um, I also thought it was neat that all along you thought Cooper was gifted, but he turned out to be one of the damned. And I don't know if it started out that way or Bob knew that all along or what, but um, I just, yeah, I guess that's it. And the owls are not what they seem is wonderful. And it helps explain, you know, the contrast in everything, almost everything in the whole show. But I just liked the gifted and the damned as well. And that's what I choose. Uh, vote for the gifted and the damned. Christy. Yeah, this is another um, kind of strange one because they're both like heavily Bob things. Um, the owls are, well, first of all, owls are creepy and they have big eyes that watch you everywhere. But And they're like this good, just omnipotent vehicle for the whole series. But, um, and I, I guess, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I didn't see this when I watched the series, but, you know, I read, like, a ton of stuff about Twin Peaks, and um, I guess they're how Bob, like, keeps a watch over the town or something. I don't know. Anyway, versus The Gifted and the Damned, which, when I think of that phrase, I specifically think of Laura's mom, Grace Zabrinsky, or I think that's her name, who's, like, the strangest-looking woman I've ever seen. And I, I mean, it's a great look and I, I love it. And I, I'm, I almost put her on the list, like the actress, because she's just such a strange, I'm sorry to say, but just a strange looking woman. And, um, she looks just as strange today. And yeah, I, I like, I like that specifically. So I'm, I'm going to vote for the gifted and the damned. Another vote for the gifted and the damned. Dave. Yeah, there's like a couple of Bob things up against each other because the owls are sort of, you know, like uh, mysterious, demonic, other dimensional eyes in the woods that are observing and, and cataloging and, uh, you know, the things that, that Bob or whatever can't can't see. But the gifted and the damned is a great point. You have all these, these psychics, even the most innocent of all, Madeline, uh, you know, who could see Bob and, you know, just from being there, it could just sense presence because for whatever reason it ran in that family um and and the damned and you see them when it's too late um so uh, that's two for the gift i'm gonna i'm gonna give the shout out to the owls because we got a couple of horned owls that live out by my house and i hear them at night and every time i hear them that's the first damn thing a thing i say is oh the owls and how would they seem and then i go inside and cry a vote for the owls are not what they seem and scarring your four-year-old child. Um, Jared. <laughs> okay, uh, the owls are not what they seem um, is first introduced to us by the giant character who explains to Cooper, you know, in a vision that three things are going to come true for you. And the second one is the owls are not what they seem. 
Well, it's pretty easy to nail down the first one, which is the, smi- the bag that smiles. So that, that gets done quick. But the owls are not what they seem. What, what is this clue? How is this going to come true? How is this going to help Dale on his big mission? Well, enter the character, the awesome character, who should be on this list, Major Briggs, Bobby's dad, who works for the Air Force. And he does all this secret stuff that he can't really talk about. But the log lady tells him, you need to, to deliver that message. So he goes, hmm, I know what that means. So then he goes to Cooper, just out of the blue. And he explains that part of his job is like um, sorting out the space noise from pulsars in deep space. And it's just basically radiation coming down. It's put on like a dot matrix printer. It's like line after line of gibberish. But then in the middle, the owls are not what they see. <laughs> Which I think was a fantastic moment. I love this tie to deep space pulsars. So I'm going to go with the owls are not what they seem. The owls are not what they seem. Get to vote. All tied up. Comes down to you, Mr. Ortiz. Uh, every time I see an owl, I think the owls are not what they seem. They? When, when that recent uh, Batman Night of the Owls crossover came out, whole time I'm reading it, reading about this court of owls, I'm going, hmm, these owls are not what they seem. That line has been haunting me and pretty much has tarnished owls uh, really for the rest of my life. Uh, so for one line to have that kind of an impact to, to really define what an owl is, uh, it, it's got to have some, uh, some serious geek cred. So I'll vote for the owls. The Owls Are Not What They Seem is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is the One-Armed Man versus the Black Lodge. Oh, this is real hard. Um, But real easy at the same time. Like, they're both really great things, but I don't see how the Black Lodge couldn't win this. It's the best vision of hell ever. Um, You get to hear the sycamore trees in it. Um, it's terrifying, and I'm going to assume that's going to go on, so we'll save my best argument for the next round. A vote for the Black Lodge. Dave? Yeah, I'm going to give it to the Black Lodge, too, just because it is is horrifying, and, and, and so... You know, the Black Lodge is the way, like, you know, nobody thinks, well, very few people think that, like, insects are... are attractive because they're so alien and so they, they managed on the show to create the idea of the Black Lodge to take you in to certain parts of the Black Lodge and every every time they did that it was just too weird. It was it was too alien to us. So uh I go to the Black Lodge. Another vote for the Black Lodge. Jared Oh man without chemicals he points one armed man. Mike, this is something I just wanted to bring up. Uh, did anybody ever notice, or is this on the internet, or did this just occur to me? But the the heartthrob boys on the football team um, are Mike and Bobby, and then like the big evils are Mike and Bob. Is anybody yeah, ever seen not, that in the world? It's not just that, that. Like all the girls look the same. All the dudes kind of look the same. They all have similar names like it's a it's a running theme huh. but they, they talk about it in the show at one point i don't remember when the sheriff's like oh mike and bobby thinking of the, the teenagers yeah, and exactly. it was like no no 
It's a different life from Bobby, you know, and Robert, the name that they find underneath the fingernails and the piece of paper. I mean, they're all well aware of those connections. I think it was the the commonality of the name that made it The commonality that comes together in the Black Lodge. My vote. (laughs) (laughs) A vote for the Black Lodge. Mike? Uh, Yeah, I will also cast my vote for the Black Lodge. Um, You know, the the one-armed man was was, uh, really cool. Um, and, and certainly has a lot of, of kind of different meanings and, and elements in the show. But, uh, but, you know, in the end, so much of what I liked about the show was, uh, it's, it's more mystical side. And, uh, and I think that is, is perfectly symbolized by the Black Lodge. Another vote for the Black Lodge. Kate, is it a clean sweep? Um, yeah. And I feel bad about it because the one-armed man was mine. I really liked him, and um, but yeah, the Black Lodge has to win. I felt like one of the reasons that it was so, I mean, it's a important part in it, but it's like the melting pot of everything that's bad and evil, and um, yeah, so Black Lodge. A vote for the Black Lodge. Also a nickname for my penis. Um, moving on. <laughs> Are you sure it's not the one I'm Stay man? inside there. Or? No, it's not the one I'm man. It, but it, you know the whole evil thing. Um, Dave, this fight is yours. It is Audrey, Audrey Horn, or is it home? I can't remember. Horn uh, versus Laura Palmer's Diary, the actual book. You're the one that actually put that one on there, Dave. I am, and you know what? I'm going to wipe it off the list, but I will say this: that uh, having read read it a long time ago, I thought it was the uh, a fascinating sort of what we would call a royalty item at this point. Uh, it was written by his daughter. It is dark and beautiful and uh, and appropriate to the storyline. And it boggled my mind that, and I think she was a teenager at the time that he asked her to write it or that she asked him if she could write it or whatever. And it just sort of, you know, uh, gave this, the strength to to tie our world with the, the virtual world of television a little bit more solidly, even though I know it's another media format. But um, but uh, wait, what was I saying? What was the other thing? Audrey Horn. That's it. But they named the show after her boobs. For the love of God, uh, and she was just a great character. She was she was so you know up and down and complicated. Um, and simple and sweet and strong and scared and cool and sexy and all sorts of great things. So I'm going to give it to Audrey Horn. A vote for Audrey Horn. Mr. Formby. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, talk in, in, in the universe about uh, the women of Twin Peaks. And, you know, it's always they, they throw up uh, Cheryl and Finn, they show up... Uh, uh, your Laura Flynn Boyle, you know, they're they're always. I mean, this is this is something that is just common that's discussed about this and uh, of the women. Um, Audrey Horn is probably the most popular, and she's certainly uh, very sexy and she's she's very awesome. But she's not Laura Palmer, even in the written word. So Laura Palmer's please, because she's not blonde. <laughs> oh, listen to this. Wait, have, you, wait, wait, have, you, have you picked wait, up wait, on the Jared wait, wait. pattern? It's, yeah, they it's obviously have more fun in Twin Peaks. Wait, it's coming to get... Oh my god, that is why. Alright, Laura Palmer, please. <laughs> Vote for Laura Palmer's Diary. Uh, Mike? You know, I remember when Laura Palmer's Diary first came out, um, it really caused uh, 
quite quite a stir. There was a lot of buzz around it. People were reading it and dissecting it, trying to find clues to the show. I remember it sold out in a lot of places. was neat, was even kind of hard to get uh, for a while. But uh, I am going to vote for Audrey Horn. Um, yeah, there has been a lot talked about Twin Peaks, and yeah, uh, she is is most often the uh, the one that uh, that the adoration is heaped upon. Because, quite frankly, the fire that walks with me is the fire that that little vixen ignites in my loins. So, Audrey Horn. <laughs> A vote for Audrey Horn. Uh, Kate? Um, I'm going with Laura Palmer's diary. I read it and I thought it was amazing. It was, it was really great to just kind of like fire walk with me. It let me experienced the show even more it tied a ton of things together it was really interesting and you learn a whole bunch more about laura i think also she was um sleeping with josie packard i think it says that in there and just there was so many i don't know it was really sexual it was really neat and then also it was it was written by david lynch's daughter which which is super cool so anyway i'm going with that a uh, vote for <laughs> uh, Laura Palmer's diary. You're right, Mike. We we probably I, I I could just skip the next fights and go. Okay, you're the fifth person. What do you vote for? But it is all tied up. Comes down to you, Christy. Which one takes the win? All right. Um, I feel really bad. I love 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 Twin Peaks, and but I've never got my hands on a copy of the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Um, but I would have voted for Audrey anyway because she probably loves. Angelo Badalamenti's music more than I do. So, yep, Audrey. A vote for Audrey Horn, and Audrey Horn is moving on. We are on to our next fight. Jared, this one is yours. It is Leo Johnson versus Maddie's Death Scene. Okay, uh, so we've got um, Leo Johnson, um, a character that, that got on this, this list in again in in place of so many other people I'd rather talk about uh I'm going to have to just go with Maddie's death scene um I think that this is going to go all the way through I think this is going to be a clean sweep because when you put this character this one guy the, the trucker guy who you know beats his wife and is kind of a red herring and kind of you know becomes this uh he goes through a very odd uh journey which I won't spoil for any of you listening um but we put it up against Maddie's death scene, which is one of those powerful, most harrowing, which is what previously on this, this very show we're talking about, there was a, something in the bracket. It was what the show did for television. That's this scene. This is the scene that that was talking about. This is harrowing. It is totally scary. It is ungodly violent, especially for network television. And I, think, I really think that it, that it um, is one of the reasons Twin Peaks is as powerful as it is. And I will absolutely put Maddie's death scene through. And I actually want to remind the panel, Maddie's death scene could have been a surrogate for Bob to allow donuts, coffee, and pie to go all the way through. A vote for Maddie's death scene. Um, Mike? I, uh, I never liked Leo Johnson. Um, I thought he was a pretty one-note character, and I hated his ponytail. So I will vote for Maddie's death scene. A vote for Maddie's death scene. Kate? Um, well, <laughs> I feel I feel weird for liking Leo Johnson. I'm the one that added him to it. I, I thought, like, yeah, he was trashy. He was 
an asshole, but I thought it was neat that he kind of got what he deserved. And just like everything in the whole story, there was just two completely different sides to it. And his character was either in complete control and killing people and, and beating people, or he was a vegetable. And also he, he like Laura was physically in love with him. I mean, she was, she, he was what helped her experience all these, these, like prostitution and things like that. He was a part of that. He was a part of her life and, and kept her mind off of Bob and whatever. So, um, yeah, now I feel bad because nobody likes him, but I'm still going to vote for him, even though he probably won't make it through a vote for Leo Johnson. I don't feel bad. It's just the other two people so far don't like him. (laughs) That doesn't mean everybody. Uh, Christy. I I don't I mean I don't like him as a person but I'm I think the character is fine um he's seriously the scariest non supernatural related character in the entire series and god okay his introduction is so ominous um he like throws his laundry at Shelley and tells her to do my fucking laundry or whatever and she finds that bloody shirt and as soon as she see it sees it again that Vatalamenti music bah, like dissonant like it just sucks the breath out of you while you're watching it noise like that's all you can hear and then you hear him shouting our name Shelly oh so good like I just love that scene but Maddie's death um oh so good Slow mo with the with the strobe light again, which we'll see later in the Black Lodge. Uh, so so amazing! It's that part where um, uh, that gum you like is going to come back in style. Cooper gets the gum, and then the giant said it's happening again, and it flashes oh. back to Maddie coming home. Oh my god! It it like the, just even like how they depict the violence, like. The, just punching her square in the face, like, that's what you see. It's so, like, real. And not to mention that Cheryl Lee has the most amazing screaming freak-out face ever. Um, oh, so good. Maddie's death is um, going through. A vote for Maddie's death scene. And Mr. Gill. Well, I'm happy that it's not all tied up. Uh, Leo Johnson, I thought that he was actually a pretty good character. Yeah, they, they sort of wrote him one-dimensionally, but they were representing all sorts of different forms of abuse and relationships in this. And this is, you know, a very common form, sort of the domestic violence uh, douchebag. He's a criminal, but he's kind of shitty at it. You know, he's dealing drugs to high schoolers. He's a fucking loser. You needed that loser character. Um, yeah, they tried to make everybody in the audience think that he was responsible all the way from the shattering of the bottle. Thank you for the correction earlier. Um, you know, and then he gets shot by a much weaker villain, Hank, and then he's, you know, paraplegic. And I think Shelley Johnson is far more interesting character than Leo Johnson, but I did enjoy their story and I did enjoy his involvement. But yeah, Maddie's death scene, I mean, just Cooper's face when the giant says it's happening again just kills me just kills me. The powerlessness, the failure, you know, is amazing. It is one of the most amazing scenes I think I've ever seen on television. So, Maddie's death. And Maddie's death scene is moving on. We're on to our next fight. 
Mike, this one is yours. It is, let's see, <clears throat> through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds, two worlds, fire walk with me versus Leland Palmer. Uh, I, I really love Leland Palmer. He's a great character. Um, honestly, I, I expect him to move on here. Uh, and, and I would understand that, but I am going to vote for through the darkness of futures past. The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds fire walk with me because it's another example of just a great quote. Um, we've got other, other quotes on here, but this one is, is kind of beautiful and kind of poetic and kind of dark. And it has a lot of, it's one of those, those things that when, when you hear it, you realize there's a meaning, there's a subtext and you may not entirely get it and you may not know what it is and you can, and read it in, in multiple ways. Um, and, uh, and because of that, because that, that to me is kind of like sums up Twin Peaks, uh, and, and that quote, like the owls quote has just kind of stuck with me when we were doing the, uh, best scare and, uh, and the revelation of Bob was, was on there. Uh, that kind of immediately came to mind. That was actually one of, one of my, uh, logics for voting for Bob, because that's kind of, you know, kind of his invocation. Um, so because I think it's just such a fantastically well-written line, uh, that, that has a lot of meaning that, that I may not ever fully understand, I'm going to vote for it. Uh, vote for that thing, he said. Uh, Kate. <laughs> well, I love Leland Palmer a lot. Uh, I like him. I love his character. I love it more than the quote, but as far as the best of, I don't know. I'm going, I, I have to go with the quote just because it has, like, I, I asked a couple friends what they thought it meant, and most of them were like, I have no idea. But some people, like, one chance out between two worlds, we got into that sentence. Um, it just, it could mean so many different things, and Leland is a part of that quote, I feel. And so... um I'm going with the quote because it's bigger than Leland and more important in my opinion. A vote for the quote. Christy. Um, okay. I'm voting for Leland Palmer and this is why Leland is a perfect in your face example of a running theme in Twin Peaks, which is the dark, Violence within us, and in, in, in a big Lynchian theme, the, that no matter how sweet and innocent you are, because remember when when Bob leaves Leland, you see that he's just like this innocent, almost childlike person, but there's always this dark violence within us all. And Ray Wise has the most amazing; he's both hilarious and terrifyingly insane at the same time. Like that face. So amazing. I kind of wish it was Ray Wise and not Leland Palmer, but Leland Palmer's good too. A vote for Leland Palmer. Day. Yeah, the quote is is absolutely amazing and and beautiful and incredibly important. Uh, But I'm I'm gonna go with Leland Palmer for for the same reasons that his his performance, his character just he was amazing. And yeah, when he saw the picture of Bob, the, the artist sketch of Bob and he 
Eddie Cannon. I know this man. He he just he has so many points acting that moved me more than anybody else on the show. And you know, in the beginning, you think he's just a, a grieving father and this weird sweet guy who can be compassionate to Madeline and not so great to his wife ever, really. But uh, you know, charming and you know, good at business and and then when he's angry, he is fucking terrifying. When he is bobbing it out, if you will, oh my god, he is the most horrifying thing I think I've ever seen. And uh, so I got to give it to Leland because just for being one of the most complicated and, and well done characters on Twin Peaks. A vote for Leland Palmer. So, uh, Jared, which one takes the win and gets to move on to the next round? Uh, these were really, really impassioned arguments on the behalf of uh, Leland Palmer. Um, but I, for one, can't forget that he killed Laura Palmer. So I'm going to go with, through the darkness of future's past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. And that quote is moving on. You do know that you guys can never actually know what it means because it will never live up to the mythos that you've created behind this quote. <laughs> it's subjective art form poetry. It can mean whatever yeah, we it, want it to mean. It, does, it doesn't necessarily have to have a lone meaning. Oh, I, I, I know. in this show has a lone meaning. I'm just saying if somebody was like, oh, no, it's about my dog, it would be so, so disappointing. So, it's not just about the meaning, though. It's about the feeling or mood it evokes. So it doesn't have to have the same, though it might mean something different to me and something different to you and something different to Kate. It all evokes the same emotion, probably, maybe. It's a Rorschach blot. Yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> but it is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Kate, this one is yours. It is Diane versus Deputy Andy. Um, This one I thought was cool that they were paired up. I don't know, just because they're both in... I, I guess Diane is in law enforcement, but um, anyway, I I went with Diane because I feel like it was kind of Cooper's like journal almost, and and he helps it helps him organize his thoughts, and also we can't even pinpoint who she is. We might have an an idea of who she is, and I always imagine her for some reason she looks like Donna in my head, and I think that's neat that I get to use my imagination for her and. Um, and also it just, yeah, what I just said about Cooper and his being able to talk freely and, and keep his thoughts together. So I'm going with Diane. A vote for Diane. Christy. Um, okay. I'm voting for Diane, but I do this thing where I impassionately argue for the opposite thing because I feel guilty for not voting for it. So here I go. Um, Deputy Andy, when we first meet him, he's like sick at, you know, Laura's body. He like can't even hold it together. And then when, when they find the train car, I think it's when he find, they find the train car, he calls Lucy and he's like, oh, Lucy, it's horrible. So Andy, Andy is the only truly, absolutely good, innocent character I feel in the entire series. He and and you want to take care of him, and you want to know that he's okay. And he he represents in even like you don't. I don't even think you realize that he's seriously the only truly good 
Well, I say truly good, but there's people like Major Briggs, and, and but but even he's kind of tainted just from the knowledge of the world, you know. Um, but I'm voting for Diane because of the audio book, <laughs> the the Twin Peaks tapes of Agent Cooper. Um, so, Diane. A vote for Diane. Uh, Dave. I I had that tape, the Diane tape. And it was uh, it was pretty fun. I was disappointed that it didn't reveal much secrets about Twin Peaks. It was uh, sort of a different time in Cooper's life. But I loved Diane. I loved the concept that he would just bust out that recorder and make notes. He never seemed to mail them to her. He never seemed to you know play them back on her voicemail. But he got those earplugs sent. You know, she was definitely taking care of him for a while. I thought maybe she was just coming inside, and it was just him making a recording to another part of himself. But uh, but I'm going to give it to Deputy Andy because I think that he's just so perfectly goofy. And, you know, he went through a bunch of crap, not just dealing with the violence and crime in this community, but then Lucy, you know, she, she stuck with that department store guy and got pregnant. And, uh, and it was sort of that, sort of that, not quite the fool on the hill, but a fool to a degree um, that was, that was necessary. And, uh, and his, his performance again was just, Great, and he would, you know, through his clumsiness, maybe he was a fool in the hill, because through his clumsiness, he found all sorts of uh, things out. And when uh, when the sheriff was about to get shot by, uh, was it Jacques Renault? And he was the one that saved the day after being a terrible shot just, you know, a few days earlier with just a little work. You know, he came through. He always came through. So I think uh, he, he deserves a little more credit than I think he often gets. So I'm going to get Deputy Andy. A vote for Deputy Andy. Jared. Diane, it's 9.42 p.m. We're recording a uh, show, The Best of Twin Peaks, and it looks like you're going to be going through to the next round. Uh, Vote for Diane and Mike. Um, Diane is the tape recorder, so I'll vote for Diane. A vote for our future robot overlords. Uh, lords. Uh, Diane is moving on to the next round, and we are at the last fight of the first round. Good God. <laughs> it is Alan's pick. It is Cooper Guides uh, Leland Palmer to the Light versus... Uh, give a listen to this. Let's see if I can do this. This So, uh, Alan's pick was the Blue Rose. The Blue Rose. Uh, Christy, that one is yours. Um, well, it's another Blue Rose case. Um, okay. The thing is, um, Coop guides Leland to the light. That's not my favorite part of that. My favorite part is right before when Bob is, when he's still in Leland, slamming his head into the door and you know, right before he leaves them and all and the sprinklers come on and the chaos that's that with the blood dripping down his face. It's not it's not the part where Coop is leading him to the light, even though I do love that too. So I'll just vote for Blue Rose. A vote for the Blue Rose. Dave. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go with I would include all that. I would include the the before when Leland is slamming his head against the wall, that whole entire scene of 
of redemption and forgiveness and compassion to this horrible man who had horrible things done to him. And again, like I said, the whole show to me evokes uh, breaking the cycle of abuse. And so as much as we hate Leland because he was evil and did terrible things and look at what it caused, terrible things were done to him. So there's a certain level of of human sympathy we have to have for him. So I, I always love that scene. That scene, that scene makes me cry. Um, you know, not every time, but the first couple of times I saw it, and I was really, uh, yeah, so I'm giving it to, to Leland going to the light. A vote for Leland Palmer going into the light. Jared. <clears throat> wow, man. The Blue Rose case. That's a, that's a fantastic pick. Um, it's certainly, I, I certainly know where it's coming from. I think it's coming from that thing that Christy didn't want to vote earlier. Oh, yes, the Fire Walk With Me movie. I'm going to go with Cooper Guides Leland Palmer toward the light because th- that is my favorite part. That is my favorite part. I mean, I can watch Leland Palmer abuse himself all day long. I can watch him torture himself. I can watch Bob try to hurt Leland Palmer. That whole scene, I, I, it's great. It's great. But the payoff, the payoff is when he gets to walk through some forgiveness with the, with the sprinkler shining over him, with Cooper speaking over that, that sprinkler sound, with the music rising up, and with him seeing Laura Palmer. I've got to go. Cooper guides Leland Palmer toward the light. It's one of my favorite scenes on the entire show. You got this. You got Maddie's death. You got It's Happening Again. And you got the Tibetan rock throw. That's Twin Peaks. Okie dokie, Smokey. Uh, Mike. Uh, this, this is tough. Cause on one hand I do, I, I do like the idea of the blue rose case and I certainly would like to give a, uh, a shout out to it. Um, be if for no other reason than just, you know, Alan putting some, uh, some production into the delivery of this pick. Uh, and if, uh, if Leland was, was more clearly moving on or what Leland going to light was more clearly moving on, I probably would. Uh, but, uh, on the off chance that that it's not, I don't want to. I don't want to risk it and tie it up because that is an incredibly powerful scene, uh, a very moving scene, and uh, like we said, it's a payoff scene. And I don't think it's just a payoff to to the scene itself. It's it's a payoff really for the show to that point. Um, you know, it's it's closure uh, in many ways. The show moves on, but it's there's a satisfaction to that, and it's it's, it's so uh, so well done. That uh, that I don't want to kind of risk it not moving forward, so I'll vote for it. A uh, vote for moving into the light, and Kate. Uh, I'm going with moving into the light. It was an awesome scene. It was super sad. It made me cry when I first saw it. And yeah, when Paul, when Leland says, "I killed my daughter" or something, it's just it's awesome. I'm going for that. And Leland Palmer okay, is Blue Rose. Okay, Wait, and Leland. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. okay, because Wait, it's still moving forward, right? Biggest... Yeah, Cooper is is leading the light still going through. But I just want to say I'm voting for specifically Gordon Cole saying, "Ah, it's another Blue Rose case," because he didn't make okay. it. Okay, okay. I mean, that's all I wanted to say. Oh, you can continue. Well, uh, continue. It's ending because this is the end of the first round. And uh, if you're still listening, we'll be back right after this. 
Before Asami disappeared, she sent me this postcard from Great Northern. When they searched her room, all they found was this picture and this dear head. Let's think about this over a coffee. No, Lucy? Incredible. You two have got to try this. It's rich. Man, oh man, this Georgia is damn fine coffee. It's true. What about this dear head? Notice the symbol, Ken. I think you and I should take a drive. Big Ed's gas farm. Georgia. This is Chelsea from Donnelline, Florida, and you're listening to Geek Fights. And we're back doing what we do every week. I'm springing on Kate for the first time because she doesn't know about it. It is the Jared Formby trademark geek cred. Uh, that's where we find out a little bit about our panel. Um, and Jared, since you created it, what is your geek cred, sir? Uh, my geek cred is that I like my coffee to be black as a moonless night. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Gill, what Rich is your geek cred? My geek cred, I don't have any geek cred. I used to work with uh, Mike and Damon at a comic book shop years ago. Uh, and uh, that's about it. Really. That works. Um, yeah. Let's go to you, Christy. What is your geek cred? Um. I get. I won't. I don't really have geek cred, I guess. But I'm really into Twin Peaks and Star Trek and politics and reading books that are good. Thank you very much, Christy. Now you just your Max. dot com bio. Kate, this is your first time on the show. What is your geek cred? Um. I thought about it. My geek cred was purchased, but um, I actually, well, I have a Twin Peaks. Well, it's like, it's an owl tattoo with the, there's a moon with the red room floor 
in it. So it's Ooh. Twin Peaks. If you know Twin Peaks, if not, then it's just an owl. And um, that's about it. Yeah, that, that's um, really hardcore. Way more hardcore than any of these other so-called Twin Peaks fans. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that is pretty tight. <laughs> Well, t- well. Also, yeah. in in the in, it's actually it was actually I covered up an ACDC tattoo with it, so I really wanted to cover that up, and I needed something large, and so we drew an owl. They are not what they seem. All right, let's uh, jump back into the fights, uh, Dave. This one is yours. It is that gum you like is going to come back in style versus. The Mystery of the Woods, and The Bookhouse Boys. Yeah, see, now everything is, like, convoluting on itself. But the gummy light's going to come back in style as sort of a, you know, a big, early, seemingly abstract, nonsensical hint that actually has a reveal that's incredibly, uh, you know, painful and awful versus the thing that causes all the pain and awfulness. But I'm going to give it up because I think they mentioned earlier that the, when they get more into the Bookhouse Boys story, uh, you know, the, the fact that generations of these people have been fighting the good fight out in these mysterious woods uh, where this evil just seems to be leaking into our world. So, uh, Mystery of the Woods and the Bookhouse Boys. Mystery of the Woods and the Bookhouse Boys. Jared? Uh, in the last round, uh, as we were closing out, I, I, I cited like these these big sweeping moments that are twin peaks for me. And, um, one that I neglected to mention was that gum you like is going to come back in style. That moment when it all comes together for Dale Cooper in the roadhouse, that is phenomenal. The line is said by the waiter, um, the same guy who apologized when the giant was saying it was happening again. He patted Dale on the shoulder and said, I am so sorry. And everybody in the roadhouse all cries together. And nobody knows why, as Julie Cruz sings over the end of Maddie's death. But that character, the waiter, he brings that line back. And everything comes together to solve Laura Palmer's death. And I've just got to say, that is huge for me. And it's way huger than like a, a crazy mythos that wove together toward the end of the second season. I got to go with that gum. Uh, vote for that gum you like. Mike? Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to go with the gum also uh, for much the same reason. Um, the the kind of secret group, secret lodge in the woods was kind of a cool idea, but that's not something that's really as uniquely Twin Peaks as a, a kind of strange uh, line of dialogue that, that, like we mentioned, had that sort of circular thing. It comes back as delivered in different ways by different people with different meanings, but it all just kind of comes together and uh, and really helps you know, wrap up uh, where the story had been going for more than a year. Uh, vote for that gum you like, Kate. Well, the gum won, but I'm going with the Bookhouse Boys just because it's such a big part of the story and and the mystery of the woods is super cool to me. And, and I appreciate the gum quote and everything that it means, but... I just like the Bookhouse Boys. A vote for the Bookhouse Boys. I'm going to say it. Don't tie it up. Don't tell you. Oh, sorry. I thought that was it. 
No, no, it's not. It's, not. it's still funny to me. Uh, Christy? <laughs> um, okay. Well, again, we're all, I mean, I, I, you can say we're, it's coming down to narrative versus, you know, the Twin Peaksy self-referential mood, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I would say that, well, first of all, I won't say first of all, only, I will only say that that gum you like will come back in style is something that I say every time someone offers me a piece of gum. Um, so not only is it important, not even important, it's just like, it's so ethereally Twin Peaks. So that gum you like is going to come back in style. And that gum you like is into the next round. We are on to our next you fight. Know, Bookhouse Boys also strangely always sounded like porn to me. <laughs> <laughs> Or a really bad, like, cover band. Everything is porn to you, Mike. On to our next fight. (laughs) Jared, this one is yours. It is Bob versus the music. All right. Well, um, I've already got, like, a Bob horse uh, in this round, and that's going to be all on Maddie. I'm going to take this opportunity to just say again that the music is just fantastic. I've been uh, deep fried in the music, getting ready for this show. It's stuck in my head right now, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, vote the music forward. Uh, vote for the music. Mike? Uh, the music of Twin Peaks is uh, haunting and beautiful, just as Twin Peaks is haunting and beautiful, and I will vote for it for that. Uh, vote for the music. Kate? I'm going for the music as well, because it's completely throughout, and it helps set set our emotions and gets them involved and changes them and makes it eerie for us. So I'm going with the music. Another vote for the music. Christy. I'm going to make this quick. Definitely voting for the music. Dave, is it a clean sweep? It is not. Cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving up on Bob because I, <laughs> I, mean, it's not, I don't know. Hey, clean sweep. I mean, I love the music. Obviously you can't not love the music in that show because I don't think there's ever been a, a better musical score to a program specifically for the theme and the feel of it than that score. However, I don't know about you all, but in my life, uh, I've, you know, shaken the devil's hand uh, of people that I know have been abusive and whatnot to people. I've, I've met Bob, you know what I mean? Like in real life. And that's, that's what I think of when I meet them. You know, if I, if I've known a person that has done some deed so dire, I want to smash their face out, but I can't because it's not my place or what have you. I have met Bob. Bob is real to me. Music is math. You know what I mean? So Bob, a vote for Bob. But the music is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is a Bree sandwich versus <laughs> dancing little man from another place. Wow, this is uh this is tougher than it should be. Um I am going to stick with uh the man from another place, the dancing little person, the arm, whatever we want to call him. Uh, the Brie sandwich is a lot of fun, and it's definitely a great character moment. But uh, and and actually, I looked up a recipe for a Brie sandwich, and it looks quite tasty. But um, <laughs> it's not uh, it's not quintessentially Twin Peaks. It is not surrealism. It is not mysticism. It is not what the fuck did I just watch? So I will vote for 
whatever we're calling it. The dancing little person from another place gets a vote. Kate? Um, I really, after listening to what everyone says the first time around, the brie sandwich really was super important and, and, and it had a lot of, it really did introduce those two characters and their playfulness. But, um, I'm going with the man from the other, another place because he's just more important. Dancing LPs gets a vote. Christy. Yeah, this is surprisingly hard. Um, the Brie sandwich is such a good representation of the Brothers Horn, which sadly is not on the list. But that's okay, because like I said, perfectly represents them. Um, Man from Another Place, is, it, it is narrative, and it is mood. It's both in one. Um, it moves the story along. It... Um, is that wow? What the fuck is this moment for the first real time? The real, the real time when you're watching it, um, the first time rather um, of what the fuck is going on. Um, so I think I think it's the perfect marriage and man from another place. The armless dancing little person from another place gets another vote. Um, Christy, I mean Dave. Yeah. Monsignor Gill, are you there? Did you did you actually figure out how to mute your phone now? An hour and a half into the when episode, did he become a Monsignor? I don't know. Hello, hello. What happened? I have no idea. All of a sudden, you guys oh. are gone, and it's dancing little people versus a brie sandwich. What's your vote? Dancing little people, little person, the arm. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> um, Jared, I feel so horrible because, um, uh, it seemed like an obvious the music should be a clean sweep. And then Dave was like, Oh no, wait, hold on. And I was like, what? Ha ha ha. I can't believe that we can't get a clean sweep here. You can't get a clean sweep here either, because I think that the breeze sandwich scene is everything that everybody's praising. Um, the dancing man from other places, um, the breeze sandwich is, um, narrative, and it's also, what the fuck am I watching? Because watching these guys just orgasm over their sandwiches while they're uh, discussing, you know, uh, their evil plans um, is utterly fantastic. And I do think that Twin Peaks food needs some more representation on this map. And the Brie Sandwich is just as good as any other example because in the end, food is just food. But food is so important to the show. So I'm going to go ahead and put the Brie Sandwich forward. Um, and hopefully I can get somebody to pitch in on this because yeah, the, the dancing little man from another place is fantastic, but we've got the black lodge coming up. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff that's from the same arena still to talk about. So let's let some food go forward. I'll change my vote. That's a very good point. Oh, Mr. Ortiz changed his vote. Is anybody else going to change the vote? I agree. Free sandwiches. Brie sandwiches are moving on. We are on to our next fight. Uh, This one is yours. It is Sycamore Trees, the song, versus Tibetan Rock Throws. Mm. Um, Again, everyone else pointed out some, everyone that voted for the Sycamore Trees song, it was really powerful and important and 
eerie and um but what was the other one? I'm sorry. <laughs> Tibetan rock throw. Tibetan rock throw. I don't know. I really liked the arguments for that one as well in that it it showed Cooper and his different style of of um detecting and I'm going with the Tibetan rock throw. Tibetan rock throw gets a vote. Um Christy. This is so hard. I think this is, might be the toughest one for me so far. Um both are so equivocal unequivocally twin peaks, maybe equivocally to each other. Um but Tibetan rock throw doesn't make me feel anything whereas sycamore trees scares the hell out of me and makes me see the beauty in hauntingness in in this awful place. Um so I'm voting for sycamore trees. Uh, vote for sycamore trees, Dave. Well, sort of what she just said you know, that it is the hauntingness of it that makes it so accessible or so, um, you know, twin peaksy. But at the same time, you've got something like that towards the end of the series, something that's towards the beginning of the series. And I think that the Tibetan Rockster was one of the first times we really see how strange this show is going to be. It doesn't evoke emotion the way the later scene does, but it really evokes your mind as to like, what, what is he doing? You know? And, and that sort of establishes just how weird the show is going to get. And so I'm going to give it to uh, the Tibetan rock throw. Uh, vote for the Tibetan rock throw. Jared. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel something when I see the Tibetan rock throw, I feel like I'm an awesome human being watching an awesome show. And I think that uh, it should go forward. And Mike. I will also vote for the Tibetan rock throw. Uh, The sycamore trees was great and emotional and had a lot of impact. Uh, But a lot of what that does uh, is also represented on this list. There's things that are more dramatic. Certainly the Black Lodge kind of encompasses this as well as as the arm. Um, But the Tibetan rock throw... uh, is is kind of a representation of of synchronicity and, and serendipity and, and the idea that there are forces larger than us that are still uh, kind of playing a part in this story. Uh, some of those things are contrivances by writers who who need an easy way to get from A to B, but they're also kind of a reminder that things like the owls are not what they seem. Uh, vote for the Tibetan Rock Throw. Tibetan Rock Throw is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is Twin Peaks Firewalk with me versus the owls are not what they seem. I'll make this quick. I already said my piece about Firewalk with me, so I'm voting for the owls. Uh, vote for the owls. Dave? Well, I will vote for Firewalk with me. You would be wrong, Dave. The only thing I remember about this show is the owls. <laughs> and I love the owls, but because she was so fast, I decided to be fast and go the contrary way. Well, it's hilarious, though. The second I read it, about, I was like, holy shit. Up. It's all about good versus evil here. Let's go. The owls are not what they seem. Uh, Jared. Oh, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to go with uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me because it is, um, I think, the only surviving piece of Laura Palmer that we're still talking about, and I think the movie's gorgeous. 
Um, I I hear a lot of what Christy said last round, and I, I, she promised she was going to get more into it this round because she assumed it was going forward, but then she was like, I said my piece, so that's over. No, I didn't. So, you did last round. You were not all like, about, I think it's going to go forward. I went I'm on go and on and on. Hmm. <laughs> go back and listen to it. Hey, check, I mean, check I guess the transcript. The check the transcript. Check right. You know, yeah, you know. yeah, okay, okay. Well, well anyway, think I got the transcript. Is, I think, a, a brilliant piece of cinema, and I, I love what it contributes um, to the Twin Peaks mythos. Uh, I love that it is uh, the antithesis of the mood and feeling that the show works so hard to weave that the truth of Laura Palmer was actually a lot more brutal than the show could let on. And um, that's, I'm going to love that. I'm going to love the, the Kiefer Sutherland at the beginning with the, the uh, Chris Isaac federal agent. It's all fantastic for me, and it is absolutely patented David Lynch. A vote for Firewalk with me, Mr. Orkey. Uh, I actually was also uh, disappointed by uh by firewalk with me i have not revisited it since uh since i saw it uh, the initial time but but my reaction coming out of the theater was certainly one that this was not uh the the movie that i kind of uh w- was hoping for it didn't satisfy me in the ways that the show satisfied me um and uh and it does suffer from you know what a lot of prequels suffer from is we really know where the story winds up uh, it gives us details, it gives us texture, and certainly does it in a way that, that a movie can, that a TV show can't. But um, yeah, in the end, it just it did not give me what, uh, what I, I really liked from the show. And while on its own, that might be a good thing, uh, in the discussion of, of what is best in Twin Peaks, something that is not, to me, indicative of the show, uh, really can't uh, move forward. So... Uh, I will stick with the owls. The owls are not what they seem. Get to vote. Kate, which one is actually moving into the next round? Uh, I I was going to say the fire walk with me just because I, I like it so much and there's so much. I was going to say there's so much more to it, but the owls are not what they seem. They're, it's kind of, it's a theme throughout the entire show. Um, I'm going to, I, fire walk with me. Yeah. The owls are the people of the town and they are not what they seem. But fire walk with me is moving on and we are on to our next fight. Dave, this one is yours. It is the Black Lodge, also known as my penis, versus Audrey Horn. Well, well, we all know that Damon wishes the Black Lodge could truly take on Audrey Horn if it is, in fact, his penis. Um, I'm going to have to go with what I think they mean uh, on the show. Um, and then that's tough because you're talking about Twin Peaks, which is just a town riddled with fantastic and fascinating characters versus one of the things that I truly believe influenced uh, all you know the characters at the different levels of, of evil. Uh, and I love Audrey Horn and... Uh, I love what she tried to do to help, and I love her reasons, and I love her home life that made her the person she is, but I, I think I'm going to have to give it up for the Black Lodge just because it is basically this, you know, gateway to, to hell that so very many of, of uh, the people that we love on the show do visit uh, in one way or another. 
See, just like my penis. Uh, Jared. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it's, this is uh, Audrey Horn is just so beloved by so many people. Um, but the Black Lodge is, is so absolutely um, so many things that have already fallen down in this, in this discussion. I mean, they all come from the Black Lodge, and the Black Lodge has got to go forward because it is just huge. This is the setting for the, for the man from the place. This is where uh, that gummy like is going to come back in the style, uh, carries so much meaning, too. Sorry, Audrey, you're kind of just a character. Uh, vote for the Black Lodge. Mike? Uh, I will vote for Damon's penis because after 20 plus <laughs> years, it still has Dale Cooper trapped inside. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another vote for the Black Lodge. Uh, Kate? Black Lodge. I agree with whoever said Audrey is just a character and so much, so little in comparison to the what the Black Lodge is for the movie and show. The girl with the L tattoo agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> everybody loves your penis. Uh, apparently, it is, uh, Christy, is it a clean sweep? Yep. I just like how you guys are talking about how things are so deep and the Black Lodge is so huge and things like that. And it's like, yeah, every time. I, I'm not even joking. From now on, that's the name of my penis. It's the Black Lodge. And the Black Lodge is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mr. Formby, this one is yours. It is Maddie's death versus through the darkness of future's past, the magician's longs to see one's chance out between two worlds. Fire! Walk with me! That was a fantastic reading. Mm -hmm. But I still have to go with Maddie's death scene. Um, but maybe the only way I could truly decide is to see you reenact that too, Damon. Uh, I, 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 well, I would turn on my camera, but it would be re really disturbing. My hands were in the air and everything. But a vote for Maddie's death. Uh, Mike? This, this is a tough one. This could be a, a final round matchup for me uh, because everything that's been said about Maddie's death is, is true. It, uh, it was powerful. The way that it was executed was, was unique to television at, at its time. I remember seeing it and, and just being blown away that I was watching something like that. But... Uh, you know, for me, especially if the owls are not what they seem, uh, has not moved on. Um, I, I really want the, this type. I mean, we, we've got the gum, but that's a, that's a, that's a different kind of bit of dialogue. This is something that is strange and haunting and poetic and has a lot of, of meaning that can be read into it. And like I said, that to me is what Twin Peaks is all about. Um, while other shows have done since then, um, that level of intensity and, and brutality, uh, no one else has given me a line that I can still remember 20 years later and still be haunted by. And every time we say it, I get this creepy feeling that we actually are invoking Bob. Uh, we are. He's here with me in the Black Lodge. Um, Kate? I think I'm going to go... I really like the quote, but... I'm, I have to go with Maddie's death scene just because it, it it explains Bob so well. And if anyone had any questions of what Bob is and what he thinks and how he works and how people see him, I'm, I think Maddie's death scene shows it better than 
probably any other scene in the show. A vote for Maddie's death scene. Christy? Yeah, the Maddie's death um, solidifies the Bob's violence, like his real violence. Like we, we have been hearing about Bob for a long time now and here it is and it's awful and it's terrifying. A vote for Maddie's death and Mr. Gill. Well, could you do the reading again of the poem for me? No. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to have to vote for Maddie's death because, uh, yeah, I think that while the, while the poem, you know, has, has several, several levels of meaning and, and terror just in, in the words and the evocativeness of it, uh, Maddie's death. Yeah. I mean, and the, you know, the fact that like everybody in, in the bar, you know, was feeling it was crying is sort of the point. Like when these things happen, when these terrible things happen, whether it's murder or, or rape or any sort of thing, like it affects everyone. Everyone knows that it's horrible and wrong. So Maddie's death. Oh, vote for Maddie's death. I will say one thing about the poem. I remember Mr. Ortiz and uh, Mr. Pete Trudgeon in my backyard uh, with a fire saying it over and over again, trying to create a spell <laughs> while burning. Was it? Was it? Constantine? No, no, they were burning. No, Hellblazer number one and I think Swamp Thing number one or something like that. Isn't that what you were doing, Mike? Uh, actually, I don't. I don't think we were using. Well, we we did use that uh, as part of something else, and it was Swamp Thing twenty seven. Okay. See. See. <laughs> did it work better or worse than your Green Lantern uh, magic stuff you were trying to do? Uh, that that actually uh, was part of it too. Yeah, but anyway, I was uh, wearing a Green Lantern ring as we were doing it. Maddie's death is moving on. We are on to our uh, next fight, uh, Mike. This one is yours. It is Diane versus Cooper guides Leland Palmer to the light. Uh, is, as much as I like uh, Diane in, in many ways because she is uh, the kind of the target of exposition, uh, I, I guess she is a surrogate for us. Uh, I will vote for uh, Leland or Cooper guides Leland into the light because it is a powerful scene. And I will have—I will admit—it's also for a very serious dick move reason because Jared has gone on about how much he loves this and how much he loves the Maddie's death scene. So uh, I'm very curious to see how he's going to handle these two up against each other in the next round. Uh, Kate, um, I think I'm going with the Cooper scene. That's all I have to say uh, about that. A vote for Cooper guiding Leland Palmer into the light. Uh, Christy. Uh, similarly to Mike, I, but not, you know, to spite Jared, I, I want to see what, what's, what's going to go on between Maddie and Cooper guiding Leland. So I'm voting for that. A vote for Cooper guiding Leland. Um, Dave. Yeah, Cooper. Cooper guiding Leland into the light. Definitely. Uh, Jared, is it a clean sweep? Man, it's so tempting. Yeah, fuck it, it's a clean sweep. Sorry, Diane. <laughs> well, I'll have to talk and, to our tape recorders and apologize later. What, you mean our iPhones? Um, or our Windows phones? Sorry, Jared. Oh, watch the watch the show. It's like a tape recorder. It's like an old school one, and it's got like it's, it's got voice activation. So when Cooper gets shot, he can still talk to Diane from the floor. 
You can buy an iPhone case that makes your iPhone look like uh, Cooper's uh, recorder. I'm sure there's an app for that automatic record thing. Anyway, this is for a spot. (laughs) This is for a spot in the final four. Um, Kate, this one is yours. It is that gum you like is going to come back into style versus the music. Um, I wish I could say that the quote is as powerful for me as it is what other people have said and it being such a pivotal point in the movie, but I'm just going with the music because it's throughout and it's and versus just one one point. So I'm going with the music. Uh, vote for the music. Um, Christy. Yeah, the music is perfect. And it, it's not just the score, um, but he had, uh, Battle and he had a hand in that and all the Julie Cruz songs and um, everything. It's just so good and so Twin Peaksy. I would say David Lynchian, but um, since we're just talking about Twin Peaks, uh, you can't get around. Like, watching it without the sound on, uh, without the music, I think would be awful. Doom, doom. Uh, Dave. So basically, you're saying that uh, David Lynch's character couldn't enjoy the show because he doesn't hear well. He'd have to watch it with you know subtitles on. That, is that what now you have to say? turn it up real loud. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Well, I have not voted for the music yet, I believe. So I'm just going to be consistent and and vote for the gum. I'll vote for the gum, Jared. Man, this is actually really tough because this is this is absolutely one of my favorite moments against one of my favorite things. But the music is the music is that there are a number of scenes from this television show and even maybe from the Twin Peaks Firewalkley movie that aren't here to be discussed. But the music is with all of them. I mean, that music is there for, for every one of your favorite parts. Anything that we're not talking about tonight, that music is, is going to be there or nearby or about to drop. And so that, that music has got to go forward. Uh, vote for the I, <clears throat> excuse me, iconic music. Yeah, I'm going to say iconic because I actually remember the music. Uh, Mike? Yeah, I will uh, vote for the music also. Uh, last week we did best TV theme song. Uh, this wasn't on there because there were so many to choose from, but uh, it, it almost was. It was. It was certainly in my short list. Uh, actually, I think one of the main reasons why I didn't is because uh, I knew we were doing this show next, and uh, and I knew I was going to put it on the list, which I did. So I'm going to vote for it. And the music is into the final four. We are on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is Brie Sandwich versus Tibetan Rock Throw. Oh, this is so hard. Stupidly hard. The whole food porn thing that Jared keeps talking about has really, like, warmed its way into my brain. And Tibetan Rock Throw. It's so Cooper. It's so... So good. I don't know. I'm going to say Tibetan rock throw, but I can be swayed. 
uh, vote for the Tibetan rock throw. Dave? I also will be voting for the Tibetan rock throw. But apparently he cannot be swayed. Uh, Jared? <laughs> Damn, this is tough. Um... Okay, let's see here. I'm gonna, just going to bust it down. we got really cool Cooper here. And on the other side of the brackets, we've also got another really cool Cooper trying to get forward. Um, I'm going to go with food. I'm going to go with the Brie sandwich. Um, one last time. A vote for the Brie sandwich. Kate? I'm going for the Brie sandwich as well. I know I changed my mind. I like the Tibetan but rock throw, but I just really like that scene and and the food aspects that everyone else is talking about as well. A vote for Bree Sandwich. It is all tied up to get into a spot into the final four. Mike, which one are you voting for? And uh, I'll, I'll let you know if you're wrong, because one of these moments is iconic. Uh, I will go with the, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Tibetan rock throw. Uh, the Bree Sandwich was a lot of fun. Uh, certainly, as something that representing this sort of food fixation in the show uh, was, was very, very cool. I'm glad that it moved on as far as it did, but I don't think that that food fixation to me is as important. I mean, it's, it, it's character revealing and it goes back to that whole, you know, quirky thing, but the Tibetan rock throw, uh, like I mentioned before is more, is deeper. It's uh, it's about the synchronicity. It's about, uh, Cooper and his his way of viewing things and viewing the world, uh, which I think is is much more important. I mean, we we haven't really talked, I think, enough about the Dale Cooper character. I think he should have been on this list um, because you know he is he is basically the narrative focus of the show, and uh, and this was a great example of of revealing his character, which in the end I think is much better and more important to the show than how uh, the Bree Sandwich uh, reveals the Horn Brothers character. I agree with you wholeheartedly, because I, this is one of the few things from the show I actually do remember. There's something else uh, that's still on here that I actually remember, too. Uh, but Tibetan Rock throws into the next round. We are on to our next fight. Uh, Dave, this one is yours. It is Fire Walk With Me versus The Black Lodge. Ooh. Well... I guess we're just going to go with a really well-told uh, story uh, into and of itself uh, versus, you know, a concept that drives both that story and, and the story of the television show. So I'm going to give it to the Black Lodge. Oh, yeah, you are. Oh, yeah. Jared. You're going to like it, too, Damien's penis. Jared. Oh, man. Uh, the argument of uh, the Black Lodge is influence over uh, um, the other side of the bracket, the uh, the motion picture. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, that's okay. It's okay. I, I expected this. Um, I no, still no, have to fair. go with. I still have to go with. I still have to go with the uh, the uh, major motion picture. Um, and I'm going to cite Cheryl Lee's performance as Laura Palmer. Um, I believe Christy was mentioning her um, expressions as Maddie in the Maddie death scene. And how awesome those were! I want to go ahead and, and offer up uh, the fact that she can um, shrill better than anybody else. I think in any medium, and she's also just dead sexy in it. So I'm gonna have to go with that over the bat, the Black Lodge at this time, and uh, I can't be swayed. <laughs> A vote for Firewalk with me, uh, Mike. 
Uh, I will stick with the the Black Lodge. Um, as I mentioned, I was not uh, as as thrilled with uh, Firewalk with me, whereas the Black Lodge, again, you know, the things that got bumped off this list, the sycamore trees, uh, the the arm, uh, even even stuff like the Bookhouse Boys, you know, all of that. Uh, I think is is still is still in the game because of the Black Lodge because it is it is very very important. Uh, I I will invoke a Formby corollary: no Black Lodge, no fire walk with me. A vote for the Black Lodge, Kate. I'm going for the Black Lodge as well. I really liked Fire Walk with me, but the Black Lodge is is just a, a bigger part of Twin Peaks, I feel. And Christy? Yeah, everyone knows how I feel about Firewalk With Me. If you don't remember, you can rewind the episode and listen to the first time I talked about it at length. Um, Black Lodge. And the promise she made about the later rounds. <laughs> Black Lodge is moving into the final four. And for the last spot in the final four, this one goes to you there, Jared. It is Maddie's death versus Cooper's guy, uh, Cooper guy's Leland Palmer to the light. Oh man, hold on. Okay. Ah, oh, damn. This this sucks. Um. Okay. Um. We've got the the overtly brutal um, versus the overtly beautiful um, right here. Um. Neither of these scenes would exist outside of the realm of Twin Peaks. Um. You might reach like uh, the same level of poetry on another show with different characters, but you would not receive the same benefit. I just know you wouldn't. I mean, both of these have such drastic ways of making you feel a certain way, and it's because it's Twin Peaks. But as far as what I'd like to see go forward, ah, oh God, we've already got the Tibetan rock throw for Cooper. And, I mean, this scene is, is more beautiful, but it's certainly um, along the same vein. I'm going to go with Maddie just to get, just to, just to get uh, that representation of, of, of violence. And I guess, you know, truly, you know, getting Bob to go forward again. Um, I'm going to go with Maddie's death scene. A vote for Maddie's death scene. Mike? Uh, I am going to vote... For uh, Cooper guides Leland uh, into the light. Uh, they're both very, very powerful scenes. Both very effective. Both really nail what they're trying to do. So I, I can't really judge one against the other in terms of their effectiveness. So I just have to sort of judge one against the other in terms of uh, their place in the show. Um, and and you know Maddie's death brings it all together. Uh, but you know, so does Leland going into the light, and and you know, ultimately, I guess for me, it comes down to this is a battle between good and evil, and uh, Maddie's death scene is a representation of the the depths of evil that the show uh, can represent, whereas Leland going into the light is the redemption that uh, that the show offers, um, and and I think just for me for that idea, because I I, I guess I want to vote. For the redemption, I want to vote for the victory of good over evil, and you don't get that done as effectively, I think, in 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 other shows. Um, 
you know, brutality is is very effective because of the shock that it provides us. But to be able to be that effective with something that is is kind of lyrical and beautiful and could very easily have have ventured into silly and hokey, um, and yet it didn't. Uh, I think that's going to push it over the edge for me. Uh, vote for Cooper guiding people to the light. Uh, Kate. I'm going with Maddie's death scene. I think I understand it's, it really is a good representation of a good versus evil. And I just, I think Maddie's death scene really just drives it home as to what Twin Peaks is and Bob and et cetera. So Maddie's. A vote for Maddie's death scene. Christy. Yeah, I have to go with Maddie. Also, it's the first actual physical manifestation of evil that we finally see. And also, we get to see evil versus innocence, like, also for the real first time. I mean, while um, uh, Bob Leland is, like, punching Maddie and throwing her around, you, you see him, like, dancing with her, like holding her and going, Laura, Laura. At the same time, Bob is smearing his lips all over Maddie's bleeding face. So perfect. Um, And it has to go through. Uh, Vote for Maddie's death scene. And Dave. Yeah, this is probably one of the the toughest battles I think I've ever heard or been part of on, on geek fights because definitely two of the most amazing scenes on the show and, and, and Mike has put it really everything really well you know one it's about um, the, you know, the victim and the villain and the horror of it and one is about the redemption you want to you want to vote for the redemption because especially the way the show ended you know with the villain still on the loose sort of you know as it is but um, I think that uh Again, like I said, you know, thematically, I think the entire show showed ways that abuse exists and ways to get away from it. I mean, a lot of the characters get on to a, a better stability in their life, and I think that Leland was probably the biggest victim on the show uh, in that it corrupted him the most horribly. Uh, you know, Laura was corrupted, but Laura hurt people in different ways. You know, she was mean to her boyfriend that she mostly just abused herself through drugs or prostitution or what have you. Um, so I, I want to give it, I'm going to give it to Cooper guiding Leland into the light because I do, I do believe that redemption was the, the, the biggest moral lesson that the show could teach us. But both teams were just enormously beautiful and that's a horrible battle. So, uh, Cooper Leland. A vote for Cooper guiding Leland to the light, which is another scene that I remember from watching the show on TV. I don't remember Maddie's death scene at all. But Maddie's death scene is into the final four. We've got the music versus Tibetan rock throw, the Black Lodge, also known as my penis, versus Maddie's death scene. Mike, this fight is yours. It is the music versus Tibetan rock throw. This is this is really rough. This is uh this is a final four fight. Um uh, I'm just going to go strictly on gut instinct here because I don't want to to mull over it too much and go with the music. 
uh, though I, I hate going first here because I'd actually much rather hear people's arguments. So uh, this is not a this is one of those I can be swayed because I'm I'm really not sure which one I want. So I'm just voting for the music. Uh, vote for the music, Kate. I'm going for the music as well because the Tibetan rock throw was just one scene, even though it showed, you know, all the different interesting things of how the show is and how it moves forward. But the music is just much more powerful for me. Uh, vote for the music, Christy. Um I'm voting for the music also, and I feel bad voting against the Tibetan rock throw just because it's the last bit of lightness that we have, and Twin Peaks isn't all darkness, but uh, the music is so perfect and so in odd, and yeah. I think, uh, I think there's lightness in the music as well, though. I, 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 I know, I... I I understand that, but I, you know, I, we're talking about Maddie's death in the Black Lodge. You know, the and the music when when part one of some of the most powerful parts of the music is just that dissonant droning that happens. You know, in Maddie's death scene and all these awful parts. So when I think of the music, yes, there's light, but it's always like a sad kind of like. <laughs> A vote for the music. Dave. Well, here's the thing. The music is fantastic. You can sit and listen to the CD and love the music. And the music on particular scenes, <laughs> like those two, the guy in Cooper to the Light or the Maddie's Death scene or Sycamore Trees, it, it, it's, it's inherent. You have to have that music to add, to add to the mood. But you don't have to have that music to add to a scene that you could watch without the soundtrack at all. Like the, the Beast Rock, you don't I don't even remember what music was on there. It might have been just one of his little, you know, ding, ba, doom, doom, I don't know. Uh, but, like, that scene was, a, you know, some movies, you need the soundtrack, and some movies or shows, you, you don't for all the scenes. And I think that it's important to remember that even without the music to add, to elicit an emotional response from the audience, you know, these scenes are still brilliant, great scenes. So I think that the, the Tibetan rock drill by itself as a scene, musicless, um, stands on its own and it holds itself up to the entirety of the score. So I'm going to go with the Tibetan rock drill. Uh, vote for the Tibetan rock throw, Jared. Uh, this is, this is a really tough, uh, little situation here. I'm not disappointed at all. Uh, I've got to say though, that, the music is is beautiful and it's awesome and and yes god i want to watch every scene i want to have the music right there with me while i'm watching that scene but it sort of repeats doesn't it i mean you you'll be revisiting a lot of i mean especially if you're marathoning twin peaks you're going to hear a lot of these same riffs coming up again and again in lots of different places and it doesn't make it any less brilliant or any less twin peaks but it's not as specifically Twin Peaks as the Tibetan rock throw. And, and those characters that we all came together to watch. I mean, we all love Twin Peaks and we bought the CD and we listened to it in our car, you know, before those were, there were MP3s and everything. But when we were watching the show, we were watching Dale Cooper. We were watching, you know, Sheriff Truman. We were watching those relationships. And we were watching that mystery unfold. 
And when it comes down to it, in the end, I, I'm not sure I want to be part of a panel that is that, that's going to just put a, an obvious horse like just the music in general, all of it, all of it. Not, not a specific piece, not a specific scene, all of it, just all of it, because it's all great. All of that forward, I, I want to go with something specific. I want something really specific to win. And it's Tibet, Tibetan Rock Throw is, is just a fantastic moment. And, and I really do hope that, that we can uh, proclaim that the best of Twin Peaks, should it go through and through to the finals. I'm going to vote for that. A vote for the Tibetan Rock Throw. Mr. Ortiz, were you swayed? Nope. <laughs> so dismissive. No, I just I, uh, I I just disagree. I think the fact that it is so repetitive is a strength, not a weakness. But the music I call it a weakness. You used it as well, an argument. Well, if you read this story as a book, you know, with no music at all, would it still be a great story? Would you still enjoy the tale and the dialogue and the techniques and the reveal and the redemption and the violence? If you read it as a book or a comic book, would you still enjoy the story? So it's like these scenes in the story. Sure, but it, it's, that not, are, it's not a comic book or a book. It's a TV show. <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. And the music is into the finals. And for the last spot in the final, going up to the last fight, Kate, this one is yours. It is the Black Lodge versus Maddie's death. Wow. Um, shit just got real, you know? <laughs> um, I think I'm going to do... Gosh. And now, while I still agree with the music, whoever was disagreeing with the music made a really good point in that, you know, the Black Lodges throughout just like the music and Maddie's death scene encompasses a specific thing, which is, you know, actually bigger. But um, I don't know. I love the Black Lodge. It's cool. It's it's weird. And everybody's in it or everybody that that I love is is there and visits it and I'm going with the Black Lodge. A vote for the Black Lodge. Christy? All right. So this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> okay. This is why it's it's like it's both Cheryl Lee picks either one. Uh the the girl who plays Laura and Maddie. Um the Black Lodge has well first of all it's like it's you know representation of hell it has this maze-like layout that you know you're running through these identical looking rooms and hallways surrounded by red drapes everything looks the same and because it's like a maze-like layout it leads one to think that there is a way out or a way out when that's probably not the case and okay and here's where Cheryl Lee comes into it Laura's doppelganger is like the scariest thing I've ever seen versus Maddie screaming, which is almost the same face, but without the evil in it. Oh, um, but I'm still going to vote for Maddie's death because like Jared was saying with Tibetan rock throw, even though I like the music better, I really would love to see a specific, something small. Well, it's not small. It's a giant, momentous scene but something so super specific go through to go up against the music 
uh, vote for Maddie's death scene. Dave. Yeah, I am obviously a big fan of the Black Lodge, not so much the music. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, the Black Lodge represents, you know, a, both a place and an influence, but Maddie's death is an occurrence, and that is something that we are witness to, not just sort of thinking about. So I'm going to go with uh, Maddie's death scene as being more of the best of Twin Peaks in my mind. I'll vote for Maddie's death scene. Jared. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to go with Maddie as well. I mean, I, I like me some Black Lodge. I like me some of everything on this list except Leo Johnson. Um, but I'm going to call it, guys. We let that music go into the finals. It's, it's, it, gosh, I wonder what won best of Twin Peaks. Let's go ahead and throw Maddie's death into the slaughter here. Uh, vote for Maddie's death scene and Mike. Uh, earlier today, I was actually looking some stuff up online and uh, there were questions posed about the show. And one of them was, uh, was the whole show, was the death of, of Laura Palmer all just a plot on the part of the Black Lodge to trap Dale Cooper? Uh, was the Black Lodge an evil that had been basically following him? And, uh, and really, is that what the purpose of the show was? And um, one of the actual writers of the show uh, came out and just flat out said, nope, not at all. That was not it. But he was really impressed by the theory that could come up around it. And that, to me, is why I'm voting for the Black Lodge. Um, for personal reason, the, the Maddie death scene is a fantastic scene. It is incredibly well done. It's very meaningful, it's brutal, it's emotional. But for me, uh, Twin Peaks, like when, uh, the term I used when we were talking about the line was a Rorschach test. Uh, Christy just described it as uh, a vision of hell. It's not a vision of hell. Uh, she described it as a maze. It's not a maze. All of these things are things we bring to it. They don't tell us what the Black Lodge is. They give us images, they give us disconnected things, but ultimately we fill in the gaps as to how we interpret what we're seeing. And uh, that is that is kind of the, the surrealist part of the show. And that, to me, is what my favorite part of the show was, is what we brought to it. The death scene is what it is. It's stark, it's brutal, it's effective because we see it played out in front of us. But it doesn't have that that added layer, at least to the extent that the Black Lodge does, which is it's something mythic. It's something that everybody who encounters it uh, gets something different. I was looking online again, and this that Black Lodge thing led into sort of a trail. Everybody had theories as to what the Black Lodge actually was. But in the end, it's not any of those things. The only thing that actually hits the screen is vague and ambiguous. Maybe... The, the people who made the show had something specific? Maybe not. I, I don't even know if they've really even addressed it. But the fact that we can bring so much to it is what my favorite part of Twin Peaks was. And it's that mysticism that was represented by the Tibetan rock throw. It's represented by the synchronicities. It's represented by 
all of the strange mystical characters, the owls not being what they seem. Even the log lady eventually gets sort of drawn into this mystical angle that the show has that ultimately, to me, makes it much more than a cop drama. The Maddie scene is great. I don't have any problem with it moving forward, but uh, for me, the best part of Twin Peaks is what we bring to it, and that is best symbolized by the Black Lodge. God damn it, I'll change my vote. No. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. It's not just, okay, so what you're saying is what we should have put on the list is our Twin Peaks fans, or Maddie's death isn't just you know, the end of the cop drama, it's, it's the ultimate dark meets light. It's the duality in Twin Peaks that we never get again until never. It's the only part where the Black Lodge and our world meet, and it's slobbering and hugging and cooing at Maddie. And... I just think you're wrong. Okay, exactly. hold on, hold on. And you that's know what an I interpretation. Just, but you know what I just remembered is is that after Maddie dies, then we cut back to the roadhouse and we get all that awesomeness with the Julie Cruz. I'm going back to Maddie's death. Maddie's death is into the final, and uh, my penis goes down. <laughs> Seriously, some people can interpret it as Damon's penis, even. There's really you have no idea. When you listen to this again and you hear how you guys are talking about my penis, it's hilarious. What um, I note note that I didn't. Uh, no, you you did talk about the black lodge a couple times. This is the first time in game of life that anybody's talking about his penis, so we are at the final fight. It is the music versus Maddie's death scene. Christy, this one is yours. All right. I've been going on and on and on about the music, and I truly believe everything I've said about it. But Maddie's death is the most soul-shattering moment in all of Twin Peaks for me personally. It's it's specific and... and 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 huge at the same time. It it all of the the major themes in Twin Peaks collide right here. Um, Maddie's death. And if I need to go on about it, I'll interrupt somebody later. A vote for Maddie's death scene, Dave. Yeah. Um, again, the music is great, but I, I feel that the music, well, not exactly non-essential. Uh, it's not nearly as important as what goes on with the characters of the show. And, uh, and Maddie's death scene was just phenomenal. It was a phenomenal scene, in t- especially, especially for the time. Because I think somebody said earlier, like, they'd never seen anything, Mike, maybe, never seen anything like this on television. And I know that I, I certainly hadn't. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that since. That was so emotional. Um, it was just it was beautiful, and it was horrifying. And it was perfect. Maddie's death scene. Uh, vote for Maddie's death scene. Jared. Oh, man. Uh, while I was doing um, some Twin Peaks research, I stumbled across this blog that, that called out this scene in particular for being very anti-Twin Peaks. This, this blogger was going on and on about how the Maddie's death scene was brutal and trying and 
ultimately kind of mind numbing and, and, you know, brought brutality forward in a world that only alluded to brutality. And therefore he felt it was criminal that the show went there. And the entire time I was reading this guy's words, I was like, no, no, don't you see that, that this is, this is necessary. This is, this is the contrast. This is, this is the the poetry of Twin Peaks. I mean, for me, and it, it's it's such a gut wrenching, horrible scene, and and I love it. And 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 it's up against the music, which I knew was a juggernaut. As soon as I saw it, you know, submitted to the fight, I was like, oh god, all of it. Oh Jesus Christ, it's awesome. But it's also so obvious. I'm like, I really want to see Maddie's death go forward um, because it is specific. Because it it, it is. Uh, as beautiful as warm and as horrible as everybody's been saying. And the reason I use the word warm is because it does bleed over into the roadhouse and all the characters are sad and none of them know why. And Julie Cruz is there just, just strumming those, those same notes and bringing in that music at just the right point at just the right moment. And, it's one of my favorite fade-outs to executive producer David Lynch, Mark Frost. It's one of my favorite fade-outs is, is that moment with Julie Cruz after that horrifying death scene, which I think David's right. I don't think it's been replicated. I mean, they, they, they can get more obvious now on television. I mean, they can get away with so much more now. But it's, none of it is as haunting or as brutal or as terrifying as that moment that Twin Peaks brought us. a vote for Maddie's death scene unless Jared just got disconnected. <laughs> no, I'm here. Uh, Mike? Um, you know, part of, of what's been discussed here is this idea of the, the big uh, things versus the small things, the, the obvious things versus kind of the, the tiny personal things. And, and I love the, the tiny personal moments that we, we discuss when we talk about uh, the best ofs in particular. But in in a lot of ways, I think they're also kind of problematic with with these these larger discussions that we're having because very often those are sm- those small moments are very uh, the things that just sort of affect us individually, and, and we all have little little ones on here. You know, I, I had the owls and, and the other line, um, and what you wind up getting in in that sort of discussion is is a a the perspective of. Uh, the, whatever kind of is a majority on the panel, which really just means you need three people who share a, a specific small moment and it can wind up uh, going, going much farther and not really being representative of, of the show in general. Now, I don't, I don't think that Maddie's death scene is specifically that I think it is, is much larger than that, but I think it is an example of one of the, of those things. Whereas the music, when you say obvious, well, if something is obvious, like I've said before, and I know this comes up a lot when something that, that is a juggernaut makes it this far, sometimes things are obvious because they're correct. And there's a reason why uh, things move forward and, and move forward in, in kind of a juggernaut style. And while it's fun to invert that and come up with something different, but you know, if, if we're trying to come up with a conclusion that's different than what what people normally conclude, I mean that that's kind of an arrogance that's saying, hey, we're more clever than everybody else. Uh, despite all that, I don't think the music is the best part of Twin Peaks. I don't think that 
something that is while fantastic um it is not the creation of the people who who really created the show who created the characters who created the scenes i don't think maddie's death is the best example of that but i think it's a better example of that than the music so maddie's death kate is it a clean sweep um yes first i just wanted to say these aren't my favorite i thought black lodge was better but but I have to move on from that. And so definitely the Maddie's death scene is better than the music. I think also where, where the scene takes place and Laura's pictures are all over the place. And, and it just, it's a great scene that, that explains so much and, and yeah, it's a clean sweep. And Maddie's death scene is the winner, but as always, we are wrong. The winner was obviously the Alistair, not what they seem. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, does anybody have anything they'd like to plug? Um, let's go to you, Christy, so you can hang up and make your Halloween costume. Nope. Um, Kate, do you have anything to plug? To Sorry, plug? You know, like, uh, do you have a website or anything? Oh, or? um... Music? Um... No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dave? Man, I don't even have a hair plug. Oh, that works. Mr. Yeah. Formby. <laughs> Mr. Format? Is that what you said? No, I said Formby, and he said yet over top of it. Oh, okay. That's what it is. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, um, throw out the, uh, the HeyStarTrek.net, uh, www.HeyStarTrek.net. A blog that I have maintained before and maybe will again um, for my ideas on Star Trek and uh, lots of other things. Even Avatar's in there somewhere. Thank you. Uh, check out our friends DVDGeeks.tv, Subspace Communique, and their awesome podcast, Laughter After Trek. Um, they also have a website. It's called Bye Bye Robot. Check it out. They've got a shit ton of awesome art there. Seriously, they've got awesome Star Trek art at Bye Bye Robot. And uh, the Rockford File Files, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Wood drunkenly made a Rockford File website, and it's just clips from the Rockford File Files. It's pretty awesome. Uh, check out Inappropriate Conversations. Greg Blanchard is pretty awesome all over there. Also, give a listen to The Soulless Minis of Orthodoxy, Commentary Track Stars, and A Mission Log, a Roddenberry podcast. Special thanks goes to Karen for being our web presence. Check out what she's doing on the Geek Fights Tumblr. Uh, Chris Mitchell created a Geek Fights Wikia. I can't talk now. Uh, Christy helped flesh it out. Uh, you can play on there too. Put whatever you like about us. Like the fact that my penis is named Black Lodge. And who could forget Mr. Amazing Jarrett Formby. He does amazing, spectacular intros. Uh, you can check him out at www.heystartrek.com. Dot and dot net. is it dot net dot net <laughs> and 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 uh super underscore underscore spock on the twitters mike you can Ooh. find me on the weekend geek video show on youtube where we preview new comics every week you can check us out at geekfights.net where we have show ideas brackets uh past episodes wiki tumblr facebook blah 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 don't forget to rate and review us on itunes and the zoom network or like us on facebook you can be on the panel by contacting us at geekfights.gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter or uh, just go to the website and you'll find us there.
Uh, that's all it takes to join the Legion of Geeks. Next week's episode is, uh, well, oddly enough, today we're recording on the day that we found out that George Lucas sold off uh, LucasArts to Disney. And next week's episode is Star Wars Showdown. Uh, I guess we can put all, Mickey Mouse on there now. We are not putting Mickey Mouse on there. <laughs> I've already I, I've said no to you. I said no to Alan when he was like, you got to put it on there. Like, no. Uh, but any and all ideas are welcome. Yeah, it's obvi- obviously because I'm saying no to something. Uh, thanks again for listening. Until next time. Keep fighting the geek fight. The owls are not what they seem. My penis is a black lodge. Good night.
I am so happy about uh, George Lucas selling off Star Wars today. <laughs> well, no, it's it's very similar to what happened in what was that ninety two, ninety one. When when did uh, Roddenberry die? Ninety one. Ninety one, because Roddenberry died in ninety one, and Star Wars, Star Trek went from it was a little. Uh, at least for me, it was a little stagnant at the time because he was trying to remake his vision from the 60s and he just wasn't capturing it for me. I know other people liked it, but Star Trek got much, much better, in my personal opinion, after he died because he, he was no longer a part of it. Oh, like, no, D- no, no. Deep Space Nine would not exist if he was alive. Uh, that We don't know that for sure. He hated the idea. That I, he, I've never seen anything that confirms that. What but, I what I heard was a, was a discussion between Berman and Pillar that they wanted to do a show on a space station. He said it sounded good. Then he bid it. That's I've as far as I know. He, he didn't know anything they were planning except I, for that. I've heard the exact opposite. Uh, oh man, I read the making of Deep Space Nine. I know what's going on. Yeah, I know. That's why. <laughs> that's why I'm not challenging you. I just said I've heard the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah but I mean. I agree with you, though, that, I mean, when this stuff gets further from the creator, I think that the uh, the ebb is a little more positive when more people get involved. Yeah. I mean, and Star Wars has already demonstrated that with, with like, uh, not this new Clone Wars, but the previous Clone Wars. That was amazing, that cartoon. Yeah. And, you, you know, it's, he wasn't involved, really, and that's why. And, and actually, this new plans. Clone Wars is like that, too. I don't watch it because I, I couldn't get past season one, because season one was the season where he had a lot of say-so in and stuff, but after that, they let them do whatever they wanted with those characters. That's supposed to be really good. I just so. dropped out when I heard there was a character named Stinky. I was done. I was like, <laughs> I'm not even gonna watch this thing. There's a character named Stinky. Yeah, he's like a hut. He's oh. Stinky the hut. <laughs> I was like, oh, I see Star Wars. <laughs> Some very a cool idea. But yeah, I, I do. I do think it will be good for Star Wars in the long run. Like, when people complain, do we need another Star Wars movie? Do we need another James Bond or Star Trek movie? No, but they keep making them because we enjoy them. Oh, but uh, while we're waiting for Jared, I will say this. Happy birthday, Christy! Thanks. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. 